Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 2022 edition, second annual, where we're looking at, hey, who should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And we've assembled a group of people who are going to act as if we decide, because technically it's already been decided at this point, but that's okay. We're going to tell you what we think. And I've put together a pretty good group for that. Say hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. I was hello. I knew someone was going to going to take the thank you hello everyone yes so what's up world perfect so as uh we're gonna as we're gonna go through this we are going to eliminate nine people to leave it to 10 so if you're wondering wait a minute how did we get to 19 there's only 15 well if you looked at our semi-finalist show we inducted or we put through 15 people that didn't match those that the pro football hall of fame decided that's okay so we've decided to combine that. So we have 19. We are going to each do presentations on each individual. And as a, one other thing for all of those who are doing pres presentations, before you do a presentation on your on this person that you've been assigned, just uh, say who you are. Sound good? All right. All right. We are doing this in alphabetical order. As such, that means, Dave, you've got Jared Allen. Why should Jared Allen be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? You've got three minutes. Thanks, Kirk. Uh, Dave Whitlock here, uh, LHD on sports at Longhorn Dave on sports, and Kirk wins the best dressed uh, with that shirt he's got on. Uh, and uh, Bill's a close second because he's got that nice tie and pink shirt. A man looks good in pink. I wear pink myself a lot. But anyway, so I have a, I have a blog, LHD on sports. Check it out. But, but we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about Jared Allen. And let me start with you know, while stats matter, and believe me, I will quote a bunch of stats later, as we all are going to, uh, I want to paint a picture that a Hall of Famer is really someone who completely influenced or disrupts the game he's involved in. The type of player that when you came into the game as a coach or, or an opposing player, you had to first and foremost think about how am I going to stop this guy? How am I going to stop this player? You know, a guy like Brady or Manning on offense, Peyton, Walter Peyton or Tony Dorsett as a running back, uh, but for defensive ends, uh, for a strong 10-year span, it was definitely Jared Allen was that guy. Uh, he was the premier pass rusher in the NFL uh, from his rookie season in 2004 for Kansas City uh, through his final full season with Minnesota in 2013. Uh, over that 10-year span, he reached double-digit sacks eight times. So even he did in his rookie year, so nine of the next 10 years, or I'm sorry, seven of the last next nine years, he, uh, he, he was able to reach that plateau or eight of the last nine. I forget my math. But, but basically, once a game, you could count on him completely disrupting an offensive possession to the other team in an era where, you know, six, seven, eight offensive possessions may be all you get. His 22 sacks in 2011 uh, were second all time until uh, T.J. Watt pushed him to third this year. So we're talking about a guy who had singular elite seasons and a great 10-year span. But enough about the sacks. If it wasn't the QB he was tackling, it was others in the backfield. He was a one tackle per loss per game, roughly, for that 10-year span. Again, these are drive disruptors, ways that you can influence a game as a singular player on defense, which is difficult to do. Uh, when he got to the ball, he got there with a vengeance. He was instrumental in forcing fumbles, uh, 32 forced fumbles for his career, so that's about three per year. He recovered another 19, so there he was around the ball all the time. And he used those long arms of his to, to bat down another 58 pass deflections. So think about how much that disrupts an offense, how much you had to account for Jared Allen uh, as you went into each game. 
Uh, in limited playoff action, you know, with the Chiefs and Vikings, they were pretty much kind of one and done uh, those years. Uh, but he had five uh, games in that 10-year span, four sacks, seven QB hits, and two more forced fumbles. So when playoff time showed up, there he was, again, around the quarterback, influencing the game, doing all those things that uh, you would expect a Hall of Fame defensive end to do. Uh, but let's talk about his scoring prowess. Uh, he had four career safeties, which is uh, tied for the most all time. So there's a guy, safeties are tough to get. Quarterback gets rid of it. The, the uh, referees give the quarterback a lot of leeway on grounding. Not Jared Allen. Four safeties all time. Uh, he had two, two catches in his career, two pass catches, two touchdowns. So there's another 12 points to go with the fumble TD and an interception TD. So if my math is right, that's some, somewhere around 32 points uh, that he accumulated for his team. That's a game, game and a half worth of points. Uh, just right there. Uh, yeah, I'll conclude with that. Uh, you know, it's 136 sacks, having 12 all-time in sacks. That's a, a major number, almost top 10. Uh, way more than guys like J.J. Watt and Von Miller, who have had about a similar career length of 10 years. Uh, nobody ahead of him that is uh, eligible has been left out of the Hall of Fame on that career sack list. Uh, he's a little bit ahead of uh, DeMarcus Ware, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, so it's clear you're talking about a game changer, a guy that's going to come in, influence a game, disrupt the other team. It's Jared Allen, and he should be rewarded with a trip to Canton. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much. Uh, so up next, uh, Chris is going to step in for Willie Anderson. All right. Steven, Chris Meridian. Uh, first one up tonight for me is uh, Willie Anderson, the Cincinnati Bengals' great right tackle. Willie played 13 seasons in the NFL, 12 of them with Cincinnati, earned four Pro Bowl selections, three first-team All-Pro selections, and one second-team All-Pro selection. During his time with Cincinnati, Willie blocked for nine different 1,000-yard uh, rushers, was also responsible for blocking in Corey Dillon's two record-setting games, one is a rookie, one all time. When Willie went up against the 10, when Willie went up against the best pass rushers in the game, nine times he faced off against, of the 10, 10 greatest pass rushers of all time, he faced off against nine of them. He only allowed one sack in those games, and that was to Bruce Smith. So when the, the pressure was on, pun intended, Willie stepped up and met that challenge head on. As right tackle, he's, he's been overlooked many times, but his time is his due. He's he's earned his his stripes, and he's well deserving of Hall of Fame selection. Thank you. Okay, uh, Bill, here's your first one. Uh, you've got uh, Rondé Barber. So um, I'm Bill Carroll from Around the Block Sports. Uh, I write for their uh, Black History, and I'm doing my Black Football History tweet series on Twitter. So if you are into Black Football History, if you click on either Black Football History, hashtag Black Football History, or hashtag Black Football History Month, you can see not only this year's tweets, but tweets from several years in the past that I've been doing the series. Uh, I also write for Nuts and Bolts Sports, and I'm one of the vloggers, along with Mr. Luis Manuso, for Zinni 62 Sports Media. And I have the great honor and the great pleasure of introducing Jamil Aronde Barber, you know as Ronde Barber, from Cave Springs, Virginia. First time I saw him was running track, uh, actually, I, not, not football. I saw him actually compete in track and field in the state of Virginia 
when he was in high school. And when, later when he and his brother were signed as a package dealer to Virginia, I got to watch his career there. And there was real questions, frankly, about what he would be. Uh, he did not, despite his track speed, for whatever reason, he had a very poor uh, time at the combine. I think four six six, if memory serves it correctly, and he measured in at you know five nine and seven eighths and one hundred and eighty four pounds. So that doesn't really set people's you know imagination on fire. But despite that, he was taken sixty sixth overall, and very quickly though his first year he wasn't a starter, but even when he was primarily a special teams player, I think he started one game that season, but he already started to make his mark on the team while he was still on special teams. He became a full-time starter the next season, remained one until his career ended in 2012. And in that time, he put up pretty much every kind of number a defensive back can, including some numbers that defensive backs normally don't. Uh, so in terms of all pros, he was a three-time first-team all-pro, five-time pro bowler. Uh, he was a player who, you know, even got a decent number of votes for defensive player of the year, though he never won. He has 14 non-offensive touchdowns, which is fourth, you know, in the, in the game. Uh, he has an extraordinary number of solo tackles for a defensive back, 10th. For 1,044, 1,251 tackles combined, and a almost mind-boggling 88 tackles for loss as a defensive back, which I don't know if we'll ever see another defensive back get to that number. He also is third all-time in passes defended at 197. But that doesn't really, you know, we all throw a lot of numbers out there, but that doesn't really give you a full understanding of what he was and how he was as a player. He was a person that helped to organize the defense. He was a person that set the edge at times, despite the 188 pounds he played at, you know, later in his career. He at 188, he was setting the edge. He would be out there, you know, fighting guards and tackles on sweeps and doing so successfully. He was, the coaches worked directly with to help them run the defense along with Derek Brooks, right? The the, that defense sort of, you sort of move your way, you know, through that defense. You have Warren Sapp, who sort of ran, right, the front four. You have Derek Brooks, who sort of controlled the middle of the field. And then the person who controlled the back half, both physically and mentally, was Rondé Barber. And I don't think that team wins a Super Bowl without him. And so when people say, in order to be a Hall of Famer, you have to be someone we cannot tell the story of the league without, well, the fact that he is, an all-decade team member from the 2000s partially buttresses that. But the fact that they managed to win a Super Bowl in Tampa, and I'm not trying to, you know, say anything bad about their offense, but their defense used to literally go out and say, we got to hold the other team to less than 20, and we might need to score ourselves. Like, they literally would take the field sometimes with that mindset. So, you know, 47 interceptions. All of his numbers are impressive. But I think the most impressive thing about him was his versatility, all the different things he did in that defense. So I, I rise and stand in strong support of Jamil Aronde, a.k.a. Rondi Barber, being a Hall of Famer. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, Paul, you've got uh, Tony Baselli. Why does Tony belong? All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Paul Lawrence, and I'm active on Twitter 
as a pro football hall of fame can guy i do not work or represent the hall just somebody who likes to piss off people on twitter who misinformed and i also like to keep Vinny in check from time to time <laughs> so thanks guys um this is my second year presenting tony Baselli. um listen dudes he's been in the final 10 i believe five maybe six times in a row now it's wrong let's just let's just elect a guy and be done with it right i mean he's clearly got the support of the voters. We all know what the issue has been historically is a short career, but the Hall is no longer holding that against guys. You see that frequently now with, I mean, Kelvin Johnson, for example, relatively short career, first ballot Hall of Famer. But again, this is a guy who dominated his position you know, three times, first team All-Pro. I know that he doesn't like All-Pro, but that's the fact. <laughs> um, five Pro Bowls. If you look at Pro Football Reference Hall of Fame Monitor, Great site, guys. Um, he ranks 14th among tackles. Uh, 12 are already in the hall. Uh, Joe Thomas will be in next year. And there are quiz for the group later, who was the other 13th? We'll take that later, who's missing in that number. He played in the, what's called the golden age of tackles, right? So his career overlapped. Zimmerman, Willie Rolfe, uh, Jonathan Ogden, Walter Jones, Orlando Pace. So when we talk about Tony Baselli and what he was able to achieve in a relatively short career, that's an important context to keep in mind. He was named to the all-decade team, uh, second team, despite only playing half the decade. Zimmerman was the other first-team tackle. So he's got all the credentials. He checks all the boxes. So what, is, what do his peers feel about his case? And on and on again, uh, John Randall himself said he had the versatility of Zimmerman and Walter Jones. You know, he was really one of the great ones. I go against Walter Jones in practice and Zimmerman and McDonald in Minnesota. They're so patient. I've seen Vasselli up against Bruce Smith. I've seen on the film. Uh, again and again, you have Hall of Famers who are telling us, listen, this guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Gary Zimmerman said Vasselli had special skills necessary to be at the top of the game. His career overlapped, but he thought he was a great peer and certainly deserved uh, consideration for the Hall of Fame. Uh, Walter Jones. Bruce Smith. I mean, again and again, you will hear guys he played with, against, or his peers at the position. Let's get this debate over. He's deserving. Let's get him elected in this class. Okay. So there you go. Thank you very much. Uh, Vinny, you've got Henry Eller. Hello, I'm uh, Vinny Laspinuso. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at VinLaspinuso91. I am a research and um, social media intern for the Suffolk County uh, Sports Hall of Fame. I, along with Bill, uh, work for Zenny CC2 Media, where we cover, you know, NFL and current events topics. I am also, you know, I've been a part of uh, Not in the Hall of Fame for the last almost three years now. And yes, I am in check from time to time. Uh, thanks a lot for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm here to present the case of Mr. Henry Austin Ellard, um, who, of course, was the wide receiver for mostly the Los Angeles Rams that also played a few years with the then Washington Redskins and the New England Patriots. This is a guy who when he retired was in a relatively much more nuanced offensive scheme. They didn't throw the ball even close as much as they do now, but when he retired, he was third all time in receiving yards and he was also six all-time in receptions everyone above him during that has already made the hall of fame and everyone that's also in the top 10 with the exception of irving fryer is also already in the hall of fame 
And he's also third all time in his retirement with James Lofton and Steve Largen, everyone with his era. And another thing is that, you know, he's also was the receiving yards leader in 1988. You know, he is a multi-time pro bowler and a multi-time first team all pro. Yes. From the associated press ball. It is from the AP. I made sure I double checked. <laughs> um, although one could say that, you know, although his touchdown um, ratio is relatively low at the same time, this is someone who would get very large yards. You would get oftentimes, you know, 17, 17 yards per season. And sometimes, over 19 yards, um, 19 yards of reception. He's someone that, you know, compared to today, he was someone that, you know, you threw the ball down a little bit further and he would catch it. But, you know, I, but that's just basically my case for Henley Howard to make the Hall of Fame. It's about circumstance. He was in an era where passing numbers weren't as much, but when he retired, he was third all time. If you're going to do the same thing with running backs, and give everyone on those rankings bus, you got to do the same thing with wide receivers. It only seems fair for each generation. Okay. Thanks so much. I realize that clearly I don't know the alphabet because I leaped over. See what I did? I leaped over Leroy Butler. Uh, Chris, you're up again. All right. Thanks. Uh, hi, Chris Murray again here. And this time I'll be presenting Leroy Butler, safety for the Green Bay Packers. Leroy Butler was born so pigeon toed that doctors needed to break bones in both his feet to correct the issue. At the time, doctors said he'd be lucky to walk normally. Leroy spent much of his early childhood in a wheelchair and in leg braces. It was only by accident, literally, when his sister knocked him out of a wheelchair, knocking off his leg braces, did Leroy discover that he could walk and even run. Out of the wheelchair and into neighborhood athletics, Butler excelled at football. He was an All-American in high school and in college at Florida State. In 1990, the Green Bay Packers selected Leroy Butler in the second round, 48th overall. Leroy played 181 games over 12 seasons, 11 of those as a starter, all for Green Bay. His first two seasons, he played cornerback, not converting to safety until 1992. Over those 12 seasons, Butler recorded 889 tackles, intercepted 38 passes, forced 13 fumbles, recovering 10, scored three defensive touchdowns, and had 20 and a half sacks. Leroy was the first defensive back with at least 20 interceptions and 20 sacks, helping change the way defenses use safeties. In Leroy's first season as a starter, the Packers defense ranked 18th overall. By 1996, they were ranked number one. During his career, the Packers had a top 11 defense six times and a top five defense four times. According to stats, Butler had a defensive passer rating of 39.4 in 1995 and 38.9 in 1996, while intercepting 10 passes allowing only two touchdowns. Butler was a key component of the Packers Super Bowl 31 winning team. With such a force on defense, the Broncos coaches developed their offensive strategy for Super Bowl 32 around minimizing Butler's impact. Over his career, Leroy received numerous accolades for his play. He was selected to four Pro Bowls, was named first team all pro four times, was named first team all decade for the 90s by four different organizations, Pro Football Hall of Fame, Sports Illustrated, Pro Football Reference, and Stats. As of today, he's the only first-team All-Decade team member from either the 1970s, 80s, or 90s team not already inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In addition to his play on the field, Leroy is responsible for inventing Green Bay's iconic touchdown celebration, the Lambeau Leap. In conclusion, 
Larry Butler overcame serious childhood medical issue to play 12 seasons for the Packers, earning four Pro Bowl selections, four first-team All-Pro selections, was named to the first team for four different All-Decade teams for the 1990s, won Super Bowl 31, invented the Lambeau Leap, and was selected to the Packers Hall of Fame in 2007. And in 2022, he's earned his, his chance to be selected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Thanks. All right, thank you. Uh, Sting in the Midwest, Jack, you've got Devin Hester. Hi, everybody. I want you all to close your eyes, please. Close your eyes. Eyes are closed. And I want to see what your faces look like right now as I say these words. Devin Hester, back deep to return. It's one of the most thrilling sentences that we've ever heard in sports. The equivalent of one of the great home run hitters of the 1990s who would shut down everything in the stadium when they came up to play. Because you knew that you wanted to see what this man was going to do with the ball. Whether it was a kick return, for which he was honored all decade in the 2010s, or punt return, for which he was honored all decade in the 2000s. I think that there are three major components to a Hall of Famer. There's the imagination, there's the impact, and there's the numbers. And the imagination is what leads you to tell your grandchildren about somebody. It's what leads you to have memories when you close your eyes all these years later and picture Hester in Miami in the Super Bowl, standing back there with all the cameras going, with Tony Dungy, a Hall of Fame coach, saying, we're not gonna kick to him and then praying about it and saying, you know what, never mind, we are going to kick to him. And then seeing that man return that ball and saying, guys, my mistake, we will not be kicking to him the rest of the game. That's game planning for a returner in the Super Bowl. Now let's get to the dullest part of a Hall of Fame resume, the numbers. We've got some basic stats. Devin Hester led the NFL in punt return yardage twice, in punt return average twice, in punt return touchdowns three times, in kick returns twice, kick return touchdowns twice, kick return touchdowns, excuse me, kick return yardage twice. He holds the record for return touchdowns. He holds the record for punt return touchdowns, for punt return touchdowns in a season, for total returns touchdowns in a season. If you looked at any of his best three two-year spans, you'd be looking at Dante Hall. If you looked at just his kick return numbers and his impact as a kick returner, you'd be looking at Cordero Patterson. If you looked at just his punt return numbers, you'd be looking at maybe Billy Johnson or Rick Upchurch. In terms of impact, there were rule changes made with this man in mind. There were style changes. We just learned uh, in a great feature from Dan Pompey that teams changed the style of punting to an Australian punt that gave you more distance and less hang time to counter Devin Hester. There were job changes. Special teams coach of the Cardinals says that he wanted to draft Hester in 2006 and didn't. And of course, in that Monday night game, it was Hester who had the game winning return to knock out the Cardinals. But Denny Green and that entire staff was fired afterwards. And that special teams coach says Devin Hester cost him his job. And there were individual game 
changes. Along with that Super Bowl, people like to point out that, well, Hester really didn't do much in the return game in 08 and 09. Let me tell you something about 2008. In 2008, despite the fact that Devin Hester was really a full-time returner and was, excuse me, a full-time receiver and didn't have a return touchdown, late in the season, the Bears were fourth in the NFL in average starting field possession on kickoffs. It was still reverberating. Let me tell you about what some of Devin Hester's historical peers say about him. Gail Sayers said he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Brian Mitchell says he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Mel Gray says he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Desmond Howard says he has that Barry Sanders factor. And if you were here for Barry, you know what that means. And if you weren't here for Barry, your grandparents will tell you about it, just as they'll tell you about Devin Hester. Billy White Shoes Johnson says he makes it look easy. Dante Hall, who could be in the Hall of Fame as a returner, says he's the GOAT. And Deion Sanders, who could be in the Hall just as a returner, obviously he's in the Hall of Fame as a returner and a DB, also says that he's the greatest of all time. That's the impact. He's got the numbers. He's got the imagination. And as a result, this year, Devin Hester became the second special teamer ever to be a first-year finalist for the Hall of Fame after Jan Stenerud, first ever as a returner. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. If he were a quarterback, he'd be walking into Canton. If he were a running back, he'd be walking into Canton. It would be a conversation. Close your eyes and think of Devin Hester. Thanks so much. I, Amazing. I knew I was gonna have to follow you and damn it, <laughs> set the bar pretty high. Uh, so Amazing. I, I've got, uh, I've got Tory Holt and for me with uh, Tory Holt, uh, I find it pretty, pretty basic on this one. I firmly believe that in the Rams heyday, when they were the greatest show on turf, it wasn't Isaac Bruce who was the top wide receiver. It was Tory Holt. And this is not to take anything away from Isaac Bruce. Isaac Bruce is a hall of famer. And I think everyone here would agree that he should be. And that's where he belongs. But after the Holt helped, uh, the Rams win everything as a rookie. That's when they won it all. But after that point, for, for their on in, for the next eight years while they were playing together, Torrey Holt was not WR2. He was WR1. That's who he was. The top wide receiver on one of the greatest offenses that existed in that decade. Two-time receiving, receiving yards leader. That doesn't happen too often anymore. Eight years in a row with 1,000 yards all decade. I'm going to leave it at that. Because honestly, I don't think there's anything more to be said. I think that Holt is better than the, better than the teammate who already got in ahead of him. They both retired at the same time. And I know Bruce sort of got the edge because he has 1500 yards more roughly or so than Holt did, but Holt had the bigger impact. If they don't draft Holt, they don't win that Super Bowl. No doubt in my mind on that. With that, we also have a backlog of wide receivers. And I think there's something that we do have to take into consideration. I want us all to act as if we are the people deciding this. And if we are the people deciding this, then we have, there, sometimes you have to look at sometimes strategic voting. And when that does come up, we have, we have to get rid of a backlog. Tory holds a way to help with that. Thank you. Okay, with that, Here's my not-so-smooth transition to Jeff. You've got Andre Johnson. 
Good evening, everyone. Yes, I'm going to represent my man very well. Thank you. I want to tell you a little Hall of Fame story about the first two face of the Houston Texans franchise. Andre Johnson was the third overall pick out of the U back in 2003. And he truly was the organization's first franchise player. I know Derek Carr was, Derek, David Carr, excuse me, was a first ever draft pick. But Andre Johnson was the man for that organization for a decade. When you look at his career bio, just a couple of things that stand out. A seven-time Pro Bowler, equal to Torrey Holt in a far worse situation. He was a two-time first-team All-Pro, a two-time second-team All-Pro, superior to both Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt. He is the first-ever inductee into the Houston Texans Ring of Honor. And this is his first year of Hall of Fame eligibility, and I think a representation even with that backlog that Kirk mentioned, he still made it to the top 15 as a finalist. You want some stats? Here's some stats. You look at his career, 1,062 career receptions, 11th in NFL history, 11th in NFL history in receiving yards, over 14,000. He had seven seasons with 1,100-plus receiving yards, and three of those seasons with over 1,500 receiving yards, which I believe surpasses both Corey Holt and Reggie Wayne. He was a three-time leader, league leader in receiving yards per game, surpassing again Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne. He was a two-time NFL leader in both receptions and receiving yards. And Andre Johnson did all of this. He was a legit elite NFL wide receiver that teams had one weapon above all else they had to worry about with the Houston Texans by far. It was Andre Johnson. And he was able to be elite for a decade in spite of the fact his career was spent with a legendary bust like David Carr, and then a good but certainly not Hall of Fame caliber quarterback like a Matt Schaub. His coaches were Dom Capers, Houston Texans version of Gary Kubiak, and then Bob, Bill O'Brien. Good luck to you, sir. In fact, the Texans were so bad for the majority of his career in spite of all of his efforts, they didn't even make the playoffs until his ninth season. That's 2011. So the team only started to finally get good around him at the tail end of his career. And we place, I know, a tremendous significance on the raw statistics, which will come up when you hear the comparison about Wayne and Holt and maybe even a Henry Eller versus an Andre Johnson. But the context behind those numbers is of even greater importance. Andre Johnson did more with less than either Torrey Holt or Reggie Wayne. I agree, all three are Hall of Fame worthy, but Andre Johnson, as the macho man would say, ooh, yeah, is the cream of the crop. When you look at their eight best seasons, which is ultimately what we're comparing with these wide receivers. Andre Johnson had a greater percentage of his team's receiving yards during his best eight seasons than either Torrey Holt or Reggie Wayne. And he was only slightly surpassed by, by Torrey Holt in terms of percent of his team's total receiving touchdowns during their best eight seasons. But even when you look at that, that still doesn't tell the full story. Andre Johnson played at a time with a team in a system where he was the primary focus and it was hard for that Houston Texans offense to do much of anything. A lot of times he was the only highlight. Reggie Wayne got to play with a Hall of Fame quarterback, Hall of Fame wide receiver opposite him for a good portion of his career. Torrey Holt got to play with Kirk Warner and then a solid multiple-time Pro Bowler in Mark Bulger. And again, Andre Johnson got to play with guys like David Carr and Matt Schaub. The number of Pro Bowl and All-Pro seasons at quarterback for Reggie Wayne's entire career 12 Pro Bowls between Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, five All-Pros. Torrey Holt, five Pro Bowls between Kurt Warner and Mark Bolger, two-time first-team All-Pro 
obviously Kurt Warner. Andre Johnson, two measly pro bowlers. So when you look at the story and you look just beyond the raw numbers and you look at the significance of what he meant to his team, his organization at that time, I think beyond question, Andre Johnson stands out above the rest of the wide receivers in this class. And when you really look at the entirety of the picture, he deserves enshrinement. Yes, even as a first ballot Hall of Famer in 2022. Thank you. Very good. Uh, and uh, I guess, Jeff, because you said you do Sam Mills also. So I get I get no breather here. You guys are torturing yourselves. You weren't back to back. I'm following the alphabet. I <laughs> well, I was mis I was confused at first because I thought I had dialed into the NFL's diversity symposium because we are clearly doing a much better job than the league is when it comes to head coaches. So there is on the streets. Wow. And if anybody knows the streets, it's me. A zinger. All right. So let's talk about underrated, underappreciated. And when you think about that. That's the story of Sam Mills. He was small growing up. He was small in college. He was small when he got his first opportunity at professional football, which we all know didn't come via the NFL. It came via the USFL with Philadelphia, later Baltimore Stars. And as much as we talk about it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we always look at it, it's more like an NFL Hall of Fame. The reality is there's a bit of a, a similarity here with a lot of the AFL players of the 60s. It's always that NFL won, like WWE won, and therefore things that happen in WCW and other places don't mean as much, which is absolute gunk, crap, just absolute bunk and crap. That USFL league had all types of stars. It had the Reggie Whites of the worlds, the Jim Kellys of the worlds, the Steve Youngs of the world. So we can't take that lightly. In his three seasons in the USFL, he was three-time all USFL. So he was at the top of the league that he played in, a two-time USFL champion. Obviously, he was a big part of that. He was their defensive leader. And when that league went away, he was a part of the all-time USFL team. And just that in and of itself is impressive. And then you go over to the NFL. He spent nine seasons with the New Orleans Saints from 1986 to 1994. He was a four-time Pro Bowler, two-time second-team All-Pro, the defensive leader for a team. We think about the Saints now under Drew Brees and Sean Payton, and you think of them as a marquee NFL franchise. He came in at the time where they were still the damn Aints. Fans were wearing bags over their heads. Nobody wanted to go to the Superdome. Like that organization was an abortion. And while he didn't do it alone yet, head coach Jim Moria, Ricky Jackson, Pat Swilling, so on and so forth, Sam Mills was the unquestioned leader of those great Saints defenses under Jim Mora and was the leader of those defenses that ended up taking the Saints to their first four playoff appearances in organization's history going all the way back to, what, 1967. Then in 1995, he gets picked up by Bill Polian, who was with the Carolina Panthers. And all he did those first three years was start every single game for that team. He was their unquestioned leader, not on just on defense, but their team. He was the face of the franchise from 95 to 97. He was one-time Pro Bowler and one-time All-Pro in that great 96 season. Uh, but even more than that, he was two times in the top four defensive player of the year voting on an expansion team. Different era of expansion, but 1995, he was third place in defensive player of the year voting. 1996, he was fourth. 1995, how in the hell was he top three in defensive player of the year voting? And he couldn't even get a Pro Bowl or All-Pro now. So sometimes we focus on those things so much and you look at the story. And again, to me, it just talks about underrated, 
underappreciated. You look at a peer from that era and you're going to look at me with his eyes and be like, what are you talking about? I'm saying for statistical context, as great as Samurai Mike Singletary was, and he's no question, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer and all of that, Sam Mills in fewer years in the NFL had more INTs, more fumble recoveries, and more sacks than Mike Singletary. So you could say Sam Mills may have not had the same all-around impact, but in terms of some of the big plays that he brought to both the Saints and later the Panthers, it was absolutely there. You look at, we talk about pro football reference for middle linebackers, inside linebackers all time. He's ninth in weighted adjusted value, ninth. And that's basically only going off about 10, 11 seasons. And he wasn't a part of championship teams, which we know that thing tends to skew towards just a little bit. He's in both the New Orleans Saints and Carolina Panthers ring of honor. He has waited a long time. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but he we have waited a long time to see Sam Mills get his light under the sun, get his just props. And it is about time that Sam Mills finally takes his rightful place in Canton as part of the 2022 Pro Football Hall of Fame class. Okay, thank you. Uh, Evan, you're up uh, with your first one. You've got Richard Seymour. Yes, uh, thanks everybody. Uh, Evan Nolan, for those of you who follow the channel, I am the co-host of uh, the Not in Hall of Fame podcast uh, flagship. And I guess you're the chairman. I guess I'm the president of the United States Athletics Hall of Fame. Oh, I like uh, which that. is going to going to uh, have their first class coming up in June. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have Richard Seymour. Uh, when I think of Richard Seymour, I think of moments. And the first moment is one that I've told you guys before, an anecdote for me. I was a senior in college uh, in 2001, and I was watching NFL draft. Patriots have the sixth pick, and I'm wishing they would draft David Terrell. I want David Terrell for this Patriots team more than anything. And the Patriots draft a defensive end out of Georgia. What the heck? Who the heck is Richard Seymour? Now, I didn't follow college football. I'll be honest with you, which is why I knew David Terrell and not Richard Seymour. Fortunately, Scott Pioli was a lot smarter man than I was. Uh, so Richard Seymour, so one, Richard Seymour, we always talk about the Patriots having the two, the two sort of separate dynasties, right? The one continuum, there are two distinct time periods in there. That first dynasty, and I know Brady just officially retired today, uh, but Brady at the beginning of his career was not Tom Brady. He was a guy who dinked and dunked and survived essentially, and lived off of that defense. That defense, who already has one member in the Hall of Fame, Ty Law, was Ty Law was definitely the cap of that secondary. The most important person on that defensive front was Richard Seymour. Seymour played the end in a 4-3, but he also played came in on his defensive tackle quite a bit. Uh, if you think back to the snow game, I'm sorry, Wayne, but if you think back to the snow game slash, as Wayne calls it, the tuck roll game, uh, that the, right before the Patriots kicked out the field goal, it's third and one. The they, uh, Raiders hand the ball off to Crockett, and that play is completely blown up by Seymour destroying the guy blocking him and then taking out John Ritchie into the backfield. Now, he didn't get credit for that, uh, the tackle, but he's the one who completely blew up that play that allowed the Patriots to at least get the ball back, whether that, that rule was the right one, that's for history books, right? But Seymour was, was the heart and soul of that defense uh, on, the, on the front part of it. Uh, he was a seven-time, excuse me, I want to make sure I have this right. He was a uh, seven-time Pro Bowler, uh, three-time AP first, ball, uh, first team, second time, uh, two-time second team. He finished second defensive player of the year uh, in 2003. Granted, it was a very distant second to Ray Lewis, but he did finish second that year. Um, and he is the only member of the 
20, uh, 20, 2000s starting defense who's eligible for Hall of Fame who's not in yet. So the first team for the 2000s all-decade team, the only other person who's not in is Freeney who's eligible for the first time next year. Every other first uh, team person on the defense is in the Hall of Fame now except for except for uh, Seymour. Uh, Seymour, of course, also went to Oakland and thinking about just him doing everything. One of the games I remember most with that was there's a game against Kansas City where he blocked a field goal in the first half and he blocked a field goal that Kansas City was using to try and tie the game he literally was an all-around player and one of the things I've heard against him is that his numbers weren't as impressive as other defensive ends came to sacks and other things that's mainly a function of Belichick's system right he played defensive end he played defensive tackle but that the Belichick system is not a is not a uh, stat system for defense it is a gap control do your job stick with the system and nobody did their job better for the Patriots. And it was more important for the Patriots during those first years on that defense than Richard Seymour. So that's why I think, and he's done his fourth time as a finalist and was one of the final four people or last that group of 10 who didn't get in last year. And I think he's a very, very good candidate for this year. So there's my Seymour. All right. Thank you. Uh, Vinny, your second one, uh, you've got Steve Tasker. Okay. Got my mic on. Okay. Now, as you know, I'm the huge special teams guy, along with Jack. And besides Devin Hester, the one guy I always always think about when it comes to a Hall of Fame special teamer, specifically for what he did for special teams, was always going to be Steve Tasker. Why is that? Well, it's because when he came into the league I mean, with the Oilers, then he went to the Bills. You know, he stood five foot nine inches. This guy was small. He was only 180 pounds. And when you look at him, I mean, I remember Jim Haston said that he mistaken him for the ball boy. But the funny thing is that when he came into the league, he became one of the most easily one of the most important people in terms of the special team's role because he would be often the most feared hitter throughout the entire team. And one just the, the league itself, he was one of the most feared hitters. And he would also be the one that would force numerous fumbles on special teams as well. The reason why that he would break up the kick and then he would get the punt returns as well because of his very world-class fast speed, mainly because he would always be the first player to reach the return man. And the reason why I mentioned him, his work as a special teamer, is that, you know, he was one of the very first players to establish themselves as a star, as a gunner. People talk about kickers and punters and, you know, return specialists, but how many people really look at their gunner the, common, the, the most likely example nowadays will be Matt Slater, but it was Steve Tasker that was the one that was implementing it way back when in the late 80s and 90s. And, you know, Tasker got some accolades as well. He had a total of seven blocked punts, as well as seven times he was a Pro Bowler, including the first and only Pro Bowl MVP award given to a special teamer. He was also a First team all pro seven times. That's right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven times he was a first team all pro member. In the year 2000, by the Pro Football Hall of Fame, by 20, by 26 players, he was listed one of the best of the best all time players in the history of the game. And this was voted by 
many of the players at the time they were making that assessment and said that he was one of the very, very best players and the very, very best special teamer. Jim Kelly, his teammate, considered him to be the greatest special teams player of all time. And he firmly believes that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And on the NFL's top 10 players not in the Hall of Fame, they listed Steve Tasker at number nine. So all in all, Steve Tasker, say we go about special teams, but when players themselves are saying he's one of the most deserving and one of the best players of all time, and when his own teammates are viewing that as well, as well as seeing that a small guy being viewed as one of the most fierce hitters, seven-time All-Pro, first team, by the way, that's first team All-Pro by the Associated Press. I mean, what more do you have to say? I mean, he's had the All-Pros. He has the, you know, the respect from all the league. All that's missing is for you to actually induct him. Okay. That's my case. All right. Thanks so much, Vinny. Okay. Uh, Tom, you're up for the first time. You've got Zach Thomas. Great. Thank you. Tom Hall's my name. Uh, at Thomas Hall NFL is my Twitter handle. I write for Mile High Huddle, which is the uh, number one uh, team site on SI Fan Nation. So to Zach Thomas, he was never supposed to be in consideration for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Fifth round draft choice, undersized, 40-yard dash that obviously left something to be desired. <clears throat> and maybe that's why he's waiting uh, for his entry into Hall of Fame. I mean, he has an incredible resume of accomplishments for the inside linebacker position. In the same number of seasons as Brian Urlacher, Thomas accumulated more solo tackles and combined tackles. And this is comparing players from the same era. And they, they both played the same position, really, and at the same time. <clears throat> and he also made impact plays from that position as well. I mean, netted 17 interceptions, uh, 16 forced fumbles, eight fumble recoveries, and four defensive touchdowns in his time in the league. He also led the league in, in sack or tackles two, for two seasons, and he averaged over 130 per season in his career. And he tallied over 150 six times. And he came in third for defensive player of the year in 1998, only behind Reggie White and John Randall. From an inside linebacker position, this is what you want from a player someone that makes tackles and makes impact on the game. And he also received plenty of recognition for his greatness. Really, I mean, he was voted five first team all pros and two second team all pro awards. He was on the all decade team for 2000 alongside other greats like Ray Lewis and Derek Brooks. I mean, his achievements at linebacker are as good as many of the others that are already enshrined in Canton. And he also went to the Pro Bowl seven times. I mean, these are recognitions that you, you know, when, when it's one or two, you got to think about, you know, did the voters get it right? But I mean, this was pretty obvious. He was a dominant player during his time. And every Hall of Fame eligible inside linebacker with at least five first team Associated Press All Pros are in the Hall, except for Zach Thomas and Patrick Willis, who I'll be talking about a little later. I mean, he was really the heart and soul of that Dolphins defense. I mean, they didn't go a lot of places, but during his tenure, they were ranked in the top 10 nine times for yards allowed. And he was a significant reason for that, obviously. 
and uh, uh, several players have come out and spoken about why, you know, about Thomas's greatness and why he should be in the Hall of Fame. And he's made it, he's made it pretty close uh, several times. In fact, last year, he was on our finalist list, got uh, outvoted by percentage wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really does deserve to be immortalized next to the great players and he's earned his right to be in the Hall of Fame. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Uh, Paul, you've got uh, DeMarcus Ware. All right, thanks guys. Uh, I'm here to present DeMarcus Ware. Uh, defensive end, uh, draft out of Troy University with the 11th pick by the Dallas Cowboys, the 2005 draft, a pick that Bill Parcells uh, disagreed with. We can quiz you later on who he preferred to pick, but um, you know he was at a time when the Cowboys were making a transition or at least moving from the three to a four, um, and he eventually switched over to outside linebacker. A lot of his credentials are really sort of based around the fact that he was a premier pass rusher in the era in the 2000s, um, early part of this decade. Uh, he accumulated 138 and a half sacks, good enough for ninth on the all-time list. One behind Hall of Famer Jason Taylor. We'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, all those ahead of Ware who are already eligible for the Hall are already in. Taylor was inducted in his first year of eligibility, and this is, of course, Demarcus Ware's first year in the ballot. It wasn't, uh, a, I mean, it was a career that, also was based on sacks, the um, lead leading. He led the league twice. He had a 20 and a, and a uh, 15, or sorry, a 20 and a 19.5 sacks is twice. Uh, eight times in uh, his 12 seasons, he had 10 or more sacks, um, including he led the league one year with 15 sacks. But he wasn't just a pass rusher. I mean, he could play the run just equally. He has over 1,100 combined tackles. Uh, three career touchdowns in one season. He had an interception and a fumble recovery uh, for a touchdown. He was seen among the best in his peers in 2008. He actually finished second in the voting for defensive player of the year in 2007, year before he finished fifth. So at the time in the peak of his career, yes, he was seen as one of the best defensive players, if not um, at his position. You know, a few other things to check off the box, as we'd like to say. He was an all-decade 2000s choice. Seven-time All-Pro, including four first-team AP, um, and all-consensus, by the way. Nine-time Pro Bowler with two different teams. I led the, as I mentioned, he led the league in sacks twice. Won a Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. So at the end of the year, as many of you might be aware, his last couple of years in Dallas, injury plague, salary cap, they cut him. Uh, he got picked up by the Broncos when they try to build this defense for the Super Bowl to support their weak quarterback, Peyton Manning, who wasn't <laughs> enough to get him to victory. And uh, he was a key, along with Von Miller, of course, a key player on that, um, that defense. In Super Bowl 50, he actually came very close, if not being defensive player of the game, with two sacks. Um, I think Von Miller had 2.5. Uh, if you look at uh, Pro Football Reference Hall of Fame monitor, uh, they score him at 96.33. That puts him eight all-time outside linebacker. The seven above him are already in the Hall of Fame. The issue here, of course, folks, is is he first ballot? Real quick, you know, I think he sits that era. I realize there's a lot of debate about what is meant by first ballot. Um, a lot of debate is, should that be an elite player? I think we've gone beyond that standard as the voters have in the last decade. And I point out Jason Taylor was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I understand that, you know, every ballot is different. Every year is different. 
But uh, there is a case to be made for DeMarcus Ware as a first ballot this year. Thanks. And you keep teasing us with the Marcus Spears quiz. That's fascinating to me. Like you are diving in on that. <laughs> All right. Bill, you've got Reggie Wayne. Yes. So as was earlier mentioned by the one, the only Jeff Slagle, he is a graduate of the U and was on one of the great college football teams really in modern history. And that's prepared him for essentially trying to carve out a great career, and he did, despite being on another very talented roster. Uh, some people like to sort of downgrade a player for that, but I think it actually argues to your, to your greatness if on a team that has a lot of other great players, you're able to find your way to the top of the heap. A lot of times when you play on a very poor team and you're clearly the greatest player there, the ball's going to find you if you're an offensive player because coaches are trying not to get fired. And he was essentially second banana for the first year of his career to fellow Hall of Famer Marvin Harrison. And I think that's nothing to be ashamed of, quite frankly. Marvin Harrison was truly, truly great and had already established a great relationship with Marvin Harris, with uh, Peyton Manning. But it did not take him long at all to, in some games, right, out-target Harrison and before long, he eventually took over towards the end of their time together, being the number one guy. And then one year, Harrison was, I think it was 2007, due to injury, um, he was not only the leading receiver on the team, uh, but he led the league in receptions. Now, he did not do that a lot. People like to point out that, you know, only he was only in the top five in a lot of categories uh, once or twice. Once again, due to the fact that he shared the load with aforementioned previous Hall of Famer. Marvin Harrison. But despite all of that, he managed to, in his career, end up with 14,345 yards. It's good for 10th. And more than people like Chris Carter, Andre Reid, uh, John Stallworth, Michael Irvin. And his 1,070 catches is 10th all time. 32 fewer than Marvin Harrison, right? And people like Isaac Bruce, Randy Moss, Steve Largent, who are already been inducted, are obviously people that are still beneath him. So he's got 37 more catches than Calvin Johnson, who everyone agrees is a, a first ballot Hall of Fame. And he's, you know, obviously Holt comes up a lot, right? The comparison comes up a lot. And it's very close, right? Uh, he's a little bit ahead of Holt in catches, right? Six better in yards, 11 more in catches. And one behind Calvin Johnson in touchdowns. Uh, Reggie Wayne also had eight more than the aforementioned Torrey Holt. He had eight 1,000-yard seasons and four times is over 100 catches. He had 10 or more catches in the game 15 times, went over 100 yards in the game 43 times. He was a pro bowler six times. And in that best sort of slice, we talk about that peak part of his career. So in that seven-year span, six pro bowls, and was a second-team All-Pro twice, first-team All-Pro once. And yes, as I mentioned, when Harrison went down six games into the 2007 season, he led the league in receiving yards. Only time, in fact, he did. But he bridged, he was that bridge, that bridge at the receiver position from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. At the time that he retired, he was second in NFL history in postseason catches behind, of course, 
the greatest of all time, Jerry Rice. One of the things that I think stands out most when I think about Reggie Wayne is also his durability, right? 211 games. Uh, he only missed, I think, four games in his career to injury, something like that. And he answered the bell. Did he play hurt? Yes. I mean, there's no way that you play as long as he did and as well as he did without strapping it up and going out there when you're not 100%. One of the things that I want to, to make very, very clear, because like I said, people like to sort of say, well, he had Marvin Harrison doing this, and he had Dallas Clark, and he had, yes, like that is all completely true. But when you've got all this amazing smorgasbord of talent to throw the football to, and you manage to get the ball to Reggie Wayne as often as you do, it means that Reggie Wayne, one, is getting open, right? That's part of it. But also that he is making it clear to you that he's a good option maybe the best option amongst so many good ones. Um, some people like to say he was only first team all pro once. Well, that is indeed true, but we've heard other people talk about how context sometimes explains how some of these things happen. The last thing I'd like to point out, in addition to all the, the numbers, right? And all the consistency and the greatness and the toughness and things like that. He was also a guy that worked with, as he became the senior guy, who worked with the younger guys, all of the younger players that were on the team, and not just wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, essentially anybody on offense outside of maybe offensive linemen who don't talk to receivers that much, they all talked about how much he helped them. And of course, when Andrew Luck came along, Andrew Luck would always mention how much Reggie Wayne helped them. Reggie Wayne would say, you know, when Peyton was here, he would do this this way, you know, or try this, or I know that we called the play this way, but if I bend this off a little, a little shorter, we're going to get more separation here. We're going to open up somebody further downfield if I change this right on the fly. <clears throat> it's clear, based on not just the numbers, that he meets with all the standards that we look at, right? In his era, not only was he, he was a top three or four receiver, with the exception of the first couple of years of his career, for almost an entire decade, yeah, basically an entire decade, or at least seven straight years, he was a top three receiver, basically, in the entire NFL, despite the fact that there were a lot of great receivers in the NFL. So because of that, I feel very strongly that Reggie Wayne deserves to make the Hall of Fame. Okay. Thanks so much. Uh, so, Evan, you've got uh, Kevin Williams. All right. Um, so... Coming into this whole process when we started, I know, two, three years ago, uh, I never thought that I'd be the man who would be the Kevin Williams Vikings guy being a Patriots fan. But this is my lot in life. Kevin Williams is maybe the most interesting draft pick in the history of the NFL. And what I mean by that is let me take you back to the 2003 draft. The Bengals lead off with Carson Palmer. The Lions take Charles Rogers. The Texans take Andre Johnson, who we discussed. Dwayne Robertson goes to Jets. Terrence Newman to the Cowboys, Jonathan Sullivan to the Saints. And number seven are the Red McCombs owned Minnesota Vikings. And Red McCombs, in case you forget, is one of the cheapest bastards ever to own a team in the NFL. And he is looking desperately to trade this pick back so he doesn't have to pay his first round draft pick that much. Unfortunately, they can't get a trade done. So they come up with another plan. Just let the time expire. Something nobody has done before or since. So the Jaguars come up and draft Leftwich seventh. The Panthers take Jordan Gross eighth before finally, seemingly reluctantly, the Vikings draft 
Kevin Williams, someone who they had never even contacted during the pre-draft con uh, workout situation. Said that was their guy all along. They had never talked to him, right? They got lucky as all heck. Kevin Williams, I know will not get in the Hall of Fame this year because for reasons known only to, I don't know, whatever God there is of football, they have completely forgotten him on the defensive line stuff for the, the voters. Kevin Williams is possibly the greatest run-stuffing defensive lineman at least of the last 25 years, maybe ever, right? Kevin Williams was the finished fourth in defensive play, or defensive rookie of the year back in 2003, his rookie year. Then from 2004 to 2010, he was a first-time All-Pro five times and a Pro Bowler six times. In 2006, 2007, and 2009, Kevin Williams in the center of that defensive line the Minnesota Vikings were number one against the run in six, seven, and nine. What were they in 2008 when they slacked off? They were second, right? This was Kevin Williams. He was an absolute beast who, for I, I still don't get why we're the only ones debating him, apparently. He didn't even make the semifinalist list this year. According to Pro Football Reference, uh, they have that very nice Hall of Fame monitor they came up with recently. And now, Everyone can debate as to how great, how useful is everything, although it seems to come up with the right answers on a lot of things. Here are the defensive tackles in the hall uh, ahead of him on the list. He is currently number nine all time in defensive tackle. People in front of him are Bob Lilly, Randy White, Alan Page, Joe Green, Aaron Donald, who's still playing and may top the list by the time he's done, John Randall, Warren Sapp, Merlin Olson. Then Kevin Williams. Behind him, Cortez Kennedy, Henry Jordan. Dominican Sue, who's still playing, and Alex Karras. They have 100 as the average Hall of Famer. He's 105 on this list. He is the most overlooked person in this whole process going on, and I don't, I don't get it. As a Patriots fan, I shouldn't be the one making these arguments, but Kevin Williams is a Hall of Famer. He should have been at least a semifinalist minimum. He should be a finalist year on year. I'm hoping that Seymour getting in gets – opens up a defensive line for him, a defensive line spot. But Kevin Williams should, is a Hall of Famer. He should be a Hall of Fame. It may just be he's a quiet guy. He doesn't have Twitter. He doesn't have Facebook. You rarely hear him talk. He runs a trucking company now, right? He, he, hadn't, he hadn't done anything. He basically disappeared after he retired. He was in, put in the uh, Vikings Ring of Honor two years ago now. It was the first time he'd surfaced, and he's just gone back to basically his trucking company in, in Arkansas. But this dude 100% deserves to be in the hall. So, thanks. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, Tom, you're back up with Patrick Willis. Great. Thank you. So, there's an incredible amount of nostalgia for the inside linebacker position. I mean, the thought of a tough, rangy middle linebacker roaming sideline to sideline, it's really it's romanticized by NFL fans and teams you think of dick butkus mike singletary you know ray lewis but the, the problem is the nfl is ever-changing obviously and it's really rendered the inside linebacker position less important believe it or not um whether we whether we like it or not it's uh, kind of going the way of the fullback so to speak so when an inside linebacker is absolutely dominant in today's NFL, you have to really stand up and take notice. It's not like the old days. 
where that was one of the most important positions on the field. So Patrick Willis is one of those players. I mean, his career began not that long ago in two, 2007. And until his final season, his injured final season, where he only played six games, his greatness was just on display every season. Started out winning Defensive Rookie of the Year. And then he was selected for Associated Press first team All-Pro or second team All-Pro in every season after that, save one, other than his injury-riddled final season. And the season that he didn't get one of those awards, he was selected the Pro Bowl. So in every non-injured season of his playing career, he was awarded as the best of his position. Now, you know, I've talked about all pros and how oftentimes they get them wrong. You know, when you, But when somebody's got that many awards for recognition, it, you have to take notice. It, it means he, he was playing at the highest level at his position. And all he won five first-team All-Pro awards, one second-team All-Pro. So in eight seasons, I'm excluding, you know, I'm still thinking about that final season. But in eight seasons that he played, he was recognized in 75% of them. I really think Willis is the biggest snub for the Pro Football Hall of Fame since he became eligible. I really believe he should have been considered first ballot. He was that dominant in an era when the inside linebacker position is starting to diminish in value. He averaged more solo tackles per season than Brian Erlacher, Junior Seau, and the same amount as Ray Lewis and Derek Brooks. All first ballot Hall of Fame linebackers. And being so great at this diminishing, this position of diminishing importance, he was on the field pretty much every down contributing huge numbers. I mean, 60 of those tackles were for a loss. So to get to 60 in eight seasons from that inside linebacker position is, is a pretty huge feat. He led the tackle, uh, you know, the league in tackles twice and only once, you know, in a non-injured injured season did he not get to 100. And that was in 2011 when he missed three games and he still got to 97. And he played, he contributed in a Super Bowl. Obviously, the 49ers went to a Super Bowl and, and narrowly de was defeated, but he had 10 tackles in that game. I mean, he was he was a pretty dominant force in a narrow loss. He was also a member of the all-decade teams for the 2010s. And his weight to get into Canton, like I said, it's a head scratcher to me. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, because he hung it up early. He, he quit early, uh, retired early. Uh, and I think maybe people are, are upset that he was, he robbed them of some great years that were left in him. And voters tend to make those players with short careers wait. You think about Dwight Stevenson, Kenny Easley, Terrell Davis, they all waited, even though they, they had great careers while they played. And just because they make them wait, we shouldn't. Regardless of his career, it was a brilliant one, and he deserves to be honored in those hallowed halls of Canton. Thanks. All right, thank you. Uh, Wayne, you've got Steve Wisniewski. Uh, unmute, Wayne. Can't hear you, Wayne. Got to unmute. unmute. Zoom still yeah. kicks our tail sometimes. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. 
What's up? What's up, panel? Uh, my name is Wayne Mabry. You can find me at Violator57 on Twitter. I'm the co-host of NFL Nation Live on uh, Wednesdays on Twitter. And um, I'm going to get right into it. Now, we've been talking about all these receivers, the quarterbacks, the running backs. None of this stuff happens without guys like my guy that I'm going to introduce you to. This guy's like an old cast iron skillet. The more you cook in it, the more season he gets. And to me, having the pleasure of watching him from his rookie season until he retired was a blessing in itself to watch him put in work. Uh, he's just a hard hat, lunch pail toting, ass kicking guard named Steve Wisniewski. Uh, Raiders drafted him in uh, the second, well, they got him from Dallas in the second round of the 89 draft. And uh, here's how I'm going to describe Steve to you. Now, you don't have to close your eyes, but just think back to when football, to me, was still football, a game of war. Uh, when it comes to having characteristics of a technician with a nasty attitude, one of those just old grinding type guys and durability. My nominee is Steve Wisniewski, former guard of the Los Angeles and Oakland Raiders. This guy checks all the boxes. Trust me, I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, like I say, he was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, but never played there. He was immediately traded to the Los Angeles Raiders for Second, uh, let's see. A six-round pick guy named Jeff Francis, yes. In exchange for second, third, and fifth-round picks. Steve played his whole career with that one team, like I say, which was amazing for me to watch because I remember free agency coming and some of your favorite players would always leave to go get more money. This guy stuck it out for 13 seasons only missing two games, two starts because of injury. That is an iron warrior right there. Um, like I say, he became the standout guard in the 1990s where they awarded him with the selection of Pro Bowl eight times. Uh, look at uh, my statistics here. He was the uh, all decade team in the 90s of the 1990s and like I say the game hadn't completely gone fluff yet so like I said and I watched him block for guys like Marcus Allen, Bo Jackson, Napoleon, the two Napoleons Kaufman and McCallum and Tyrone Wheatley and uh, you know we had some decent teams back then so making that Pro Bowl eight times tied him with the great Archell, Howie Long and Tim Brown, who eventually surpassed him as most games played as a Raider. I personally remember Wiz being a no-nonsense, like I said before, a lunch pail toting, knock you on your ass kind of a warrior. And I kind of admire those guys to this day as with all the soft rules that have been implemented into this game that we all grew up loving. Um, was all like I said, he was named to that 1990s all decade team. And after his playing days was done, he even came back 
as an offensive line assistant under uh, with Coach Hugh Jackson, who was fired in 2011 after the passing of the great Al Davis. And uh, we were wondering what the hell was going on in camp at that time. So, but he did great. You know, this offensive line that he was assistant to kind of reflected his nastiness. And like I say, we had a decent running attack and some pretty good damn receivers. Um, but after Al's passing and Hugh Jackson's immediate departure, he walked away from football. And I uh, think now he lives in um, Austin, Texas. And uh, like I say, this guy has been waiting his years. He's more than eligible to me. And uh, he made that old line that he coached the heart and soul of that team at that, during those years that he coached. And in closing, I feel Steve exudes all the values needed to be inducted, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Okay. Thanks so much. And Arnie, uh, you, you, had to, you had to wait quite a while. Uh, you've got uh, Bryant Young. Yeah, hey, Kirk, thank you again. My name is Arnie Chapman, uh, host of the Football History Dude podcast and also uh, founder of the Sports History Network. I got to give a shout out over here to Dan, host of the Hello Old Sports podcast. He's also on the network. Uh, Wayne, thanks for making it hard to uh, follow up with that one and everybody else here. I'm not pandering by any means, but all of you are very good. And uh, let's just say I feel a little out of my element here. So Wayne, you got to talk about somebody you watched throughout your days and your fan, obviously, as being a Raider guy. Bryant Young, I remember, but I wasn't familiar, you know, from my age and everything. So it was kind of cool to go through this process, do some research and everything. I threw a few notes in here. I'll go down the story so everyone can go down memory lane with me here. Uh, again, he was drafted seventh overall by the 49ers, just, just a stud the whole time. Uh, eligible for the Hall of Fame first back in 2013. This is the second time being the finalist. Uh, rookie year, just straight out of the gate, you know, doing well. Six sacks, 49 tackles, forced fumble, and recovery. Uh, third place in voting for defensive player of the year. I know that doesn't mean much to some of these guys on this uh call over here but ultimately culminating in a Super Bowl ring uh, the only one he would end up getting but however he still has that ring on his hand started every game just dominated for the next four seasons then uh, there's the heartbreak that I actually didn't wasn't terribly familiar with I'm sure a lot of you here on the call remember this I, I had this uh, thing right here I'm gonna share I know it's on my screen but there's a DeLorean I, I take the listener back in time every episode of my podcast so let's go back to monday night it's november 30th 1998 it's a game versus the giants midway through the fourth quarter 49ers are up 24 to 7 giants quarterback kent graham drafts back normal this is this is one of those things if you're a defensive player and you know you're up that much and you're midway through the fourth quarter you're thinking i'm gonna pin my ears back get after the quarterback and i'm gonna go but then there was something that happened to brian young yeah he suffered a little bit of an injury and I think that would be what we call an understatement. It was a brutal, devastating, horrendous. Words cannot describe the type of injury that he had. Well, I, I guess they kind of can a little bit. We have, it was a closed fracture of the tibia and fibula. I really didn't really know what that much meant, other than they described it as somewhat like the Joe Theismann injury. Could have, perhaps should have, just ended his career right there. Had surgery. 18-inch platinum rod inserted into this dude's tibia. Also, he had some other complications and things after the surgery, you know, things that should have just ended this guy's career. But career ending, it was not. The following year, he comes back, 11 sacks, 
named NFL's Comeback Player of the Year. Chosen to the All-Pro, Pro Bowl, many more accolades to come after that. So, Wayne, you kind of stole my thunder here, but let me ask you this. Do you just want another dude with a gold jacket, or do you want a warrior that fights for every inch? I mean, even if it's only on one and a half legs. Let's go back to the stats. I don't have a whole lot of them for you here. He had a 14-year career, started every game, you know, four all-pro selections, four Pro Bowls. But from the defensive tackle position, 89 and a half sacks, most in 49er history. That's more than 20 year or 20 more than the next guy, mind you. And they have they've had some pretty good players there throughout their time. Member of the all-decade team in the 90s and a Super Bowl ring. Also, there's that comeback player of the year award that we talked about there. But with all that, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm the guy that thinks that Bryant Young should be in the Hall of Fame. We're going to leave it to some men that uh, tried to stop him throughout his career. We have Mark Schlereth, Robbie Tobeck, Adam Timmerman, Jerry Fontenot, Willie Rofe, and Kevin Gogan. This is a group of NFL O-linemen that banded together. Mind you, most of these were not players from his team, but yet the guys against him. They banded together on a Zoom call to talk to Hall of Fame voters to express their 100% support for Bryant Young as a pro football Hall of Famer. Now, Clark Judge, in this article that I was reading through on the Talk of Fame Network, again, he reminded us, this normally comes from former teammates. We got coaches, GMs, you know, the type of people that really have some oomph that they want to get this guy in. But most of these were linemen that were opponents of Young. And here's a quote from Kevin Gogan. One of these old linemen pretty much, I would say, sums it up for us. Now, here's, this is what that quote was. I have never done this before. I won't do this for anybody. I don't feel fully confident should be in the Hall of Fame. Young is a Hall of Famer. And let's not talk about the players and all these things. And maybe, maybe some guys that have a little bit of history perspective, John Turney from the pro football journal, <laughs> the pro football journal, that is, he ranked young ahead of hall of famers, Cortez Kennedy and Warren Sapp as a four, three defensive tackle. So I think that's some pretty good uh, accolades as well, but let's go back to the teammates. I mean, we, we, and we know we got a lot of stats and we talk about these things, but something that really stuck out to me, was he won an award called the Len Eshmott Award, which is something that's given out annually to the 49er who, here's the quote, best exemplifies courageous and inspirational play. Now, no other player on that team won it more than twice. I think we had a few players that played for the 49ers that ended up in the Hall of Fame as well. So again, a pure warrior. Okay. Let me leave you this question. When it comes to the hallowed halls of the bus room, do you want a warrior on your side going in the battle or do you just want another dude? That's why I have Bryant Young voting for the Hall of Fame. Okay, thanks so much. Uh, so Evan and I, we've been uh, just uh, direct messaging here. Uh, we've come up with uh, just a quick thing. Do we all, are, at this point, we are now voting people out. Uh, I like his idea of just, now we're gonna set to send in a secret ballot and you can just message him directly. I've made Evan the host at this point. Uh, Everyone's going to message him six people that you're voting out. Is, ever, is everyone okay with that? Evan, would you mind listing the, the names on like the screen so that way we all have our questions? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll do it. I, uh, I didn't realize that's what we're doing. Hold on one second. Is, is that okay with everyone? Or I, 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 voted, issues I voted for who we're voting in. So give me one second here because I already did this to make sure. Okay. All right. Um, uh, I like starting with voting out. 
But yeah, I just need the list. I've been trying to keep track. Yeah. So hold on. Let me let me eliminate uh, what I had up here because that's gonna change it. Like I yeah, will so share my screen as to who is here. And you said we're voting out six. Yeah, we're voting out six. And at this so this way we're not seeing what everyone's doing because yeah. subconsciously that's going to impact what we're doing if we kind of know going ahead. Mm-hmm. So once once everyone's got everything, he'll just sort of tabula, tabulate that, and uh, then he'll let us know. Does that sound good? Yep. Okay. Dan, welcome. Uh, you weren't you weren't here for the start of it, but I'm glad you were able to join us for for a good chunk of it. So thank you very much for being a part of that. If you can let everyone know who you are and where we can find you. Sure, uh, Dan Newman. Uh, as already mentioned, I am one of the hosts of the Sports History Network on the Sports History Network. I Post the Hello Old Sports podcast along with my brother Andrew, and we're sort of a catch-all of anything from 1900s baseball to uh, you know the 2008 NBA Finals and everything in between. So uh, check us out, uh, Hello Old Sports on the Sports History Network. Gee, uh, Bill, I thought you were the best dressed person on this list, but maybe not, huh? <laughs> I was gonna say I, I, I should have worn Finals. my jacket. I, I didn't realize <laughs> it was actually a formal event, but now I know. It's about twenty-three. De- it's about twenty-three degrees in Maryland today, so I'm fine with leaving the jacket on. Is that closer to Virginia or is that closer to Pennsylvania? I'm uh, right in the DC suburbs, right near Annapolis. Okay. Ah, nice. Where you can get a nice two-bedroom apartment for twenty thousand dollars a month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's why we're not in DC. That's why we're a little bit out. That's right. That way you can eat only have to eat ramen soup twice a day to survive. <laughs> you're, you're speaking, you know, you're speaking to a call for someone who literally lives outside New York City, right? <laughs> like you, it's, it's, you think that's a lot? You should see the, you see the studio apartments. Jeez, dear God. It, it's probably like a closet. It probably costs as much as that, honestly. Yeah, but right in D.C. is just about as bad as New York or L.A. is San Francisco. Yeah, so oh, I, I believe you don't. I believe you don't worry. Yeah, yeah. I as someone who actually used to live in D.C. in the Eastern Market area, I had to go to the areas before they were gentrified in order to actually, uh, yeah. in order to actually uh, afford anything. So I'm having trouble with my my six here. It's tough. It was tough. I was sort of like thinking along it through and then some, I, I changed it quite a few times based on some presentations. I mean, th- I think that's really the beautiful thing about really this whole process. We're talking about 19 people and all of which we can make a strong case for, even the ones that we're voting out. I honestly feel that way, yep. which ghost, I think reflects the whole point that, uh, I, I, and actually while we're doing that, sort of now is sort of a good time. I'm just going to plant the seed for something that, uh, Evan and I, along with uh, Dan, Dan, who's not here with us, the, the other Dan. Uh, Dan Kelly. Yeah, Dan Kelly, yeah. I think we're gonna, I'm gonna be talking with him hopefully this week, but uh, it could be something that I'd like all of you to be a part of, and it'll be really, really simple. Just uh, really really looking at Halls of Fame and, real, and the original. I'll drop more of that later, but uh, I think something pretty big from us at nothalloffame.com. Us at notinhalloffame.com. I, I got to work on that. And in case I, you're curious, you're, nice. all, you're all welcome. You're all do, welcome. Do, do I have everyone's um, votes as of yet? You should. I have, mine uh, I'm just finishing mine up here. 
Okay, I was making sure I have Tom, I have Arnie, I have yeah. David, Paul, Kirk, Jack, Jeff, Dan, Bill, and myself. So b- before we calculate the void, oh, sir, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, Johnny, if you enjoy taking a deep dive into players that have just, and somebody said the same about Kevin Williams, that somehow people have forgotten, take a look at Jacob Green sometime and the amazing career he had that everyone somehow forgot. There's a lot of those guys. We were talking about that in the chat a while back. Like, who's the one guy that you think might never get in that you think absolutely should and just will never get that conversation? Like, I brought Rudy up Youngstrom. I don't. Yeah. Like, there's there's all types of conversations. It's interesting. Jeff Van Note will never get in for reasons yeah. that I understand. Well, Falcons fans Tony are Novus just wasn't a first first ballot guy, and he's. I wonder if he'll ever get in, but I mean, he was. Everything that Buckus was, but faster. It's just that the fan base just is just so meek. They they don't fight. They're just so defensive. They they don't actually fight for their guys. Gotta stop blaming the fan bases, Vinny. At some point in time, that just comes down to the voters and media. And like there's been crafted around. No, it's not the fans. Like you gotta stop blaming the fans sometimes. Like a lot of times it is the narrative that's been created around guys in the media throughout their career, yep. even post-career, and then the voters who are a part of said media and how they perceive it. Like, we have to remember Twitter and social media doesn't reflect everybody. I think Twitter is like, in terms of Americans, maybe a quarter of all Americans are active Twitter users. So we sometimes kind of get, we get tricked because we get stuck in this bubble, just right. like politics or anything else. Like, it's the hardest of hardcore people that talk about it is no way a reflection of reality. Just right. Yeah, I, I think it's also that too, but it, it, I no, it, it is that you you always yeah, but at the same time, I it's like you got to get over that, Fiddy. <laughs> hey, hey, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. You Go ahead, hey Wayne, uh, you're the only person I don't have stuff from. Just so we can get you going. Sorry. Go ahead. You continue. I just want to make sure we get everything in. The the problem I have is how they leave uh, so many of the AFL guys out. Oh my God! Thank you. That that bothers they do me. That I mean, so many times. Houston if, Antoine. If they, if they if the player ended up in Tyra. the NFL for a little while, they give him more credit. But I I mean the thing is like oh there it was less it was they, you know less talent back then, which is bunk because which it was the name has proved them wrong in Super Bowl three, and oh well there's this and their different way of playing and it's nonsense. I mean I I still the one guy that I can't believe gets zip is Lionel Taylor. He gets no you know what it is yeah. it's what all. i talked about with the wwe if you oh. wrestling at all is like when wcw was at the top of the ratings in the midnight sure. and well, I'll, now I'll the give wwe you, was a winner they mentioned the two area. more names so the I problem is to, to the, talk, the problem what i would say was the, uh, yeah well, I what i would say though is go ahead in town for the draft uh here in chicago when they had it here and I said, you know, of the guys you played with and against, who are your biggest Hall of Fame snubs? He said, Art Powell, right, who he played with, and then Dave Grayson, who he played with and against. Yep. He said he couldn't believe that neither of those guys were in the Hall. It's and tricky it, though sometimes it's, when you it's deal one with thing players, because players at... will say a lot of things. Like, players can sometimes sure. be very qualified to talk about Hall of Famers, and then sometimes you hear some of the names they'll throw out, and you're saying, ooh, that sounds like friendship or, like, you're yeah. two in the weeds. Yeah. Like, right. But Dave Grayson was the best corner in the AFL. 
Yeah, like you you talk about a guy like Grayson, a perfect example of because of that, like I said, that WWE comparison of playing the NFL, which is the inferior league. Well, technically, the NFL in the 60s was inferior as well. But it's I'm starting to think you watch WWE. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually disagree <laughs> with the whole analogy for the AFL. Uh, you know, I, I can see it with the USFL. I could even see it with Canadian League if you say, okay, those are the lesser products. The AFL actually showed that they weren't lesser. They played the NFL teams and beat them in the third Super Bowl. You know, for a Super Bowl, legitimacy. I'm not saying, right, but I'm I, not saying the reality. I'm saying yeah, the perception. The perception and, and is I don't. I just don't understand how they could have that perception when it was proven wrong in the third Super Bowl. I mean, especially since the legitimacy to the AFL, and that's one of the biggest reasons he's in the Hall of Fame is he did that. Uh, so it's just it's strange to me that they just totally ignore AFL guys, especially when they merged into the NFL. Exa- yeah, exactly. And with the USFL, it, like you get that, even though it's somewhat flawed thinking. I mean, you you look the at Lionel Taylor. And his, uh, you know, his seasons for most receptions stood the test of time for almost three decades. He was still uh, number two as the uh, all-time, you know, season leader of uh, receptions. And then, you know, five or six of his seasons lasted for 20 years that they were still in the top 10, 15. Yet, I've never heard one person besides myself argue for his candidacy. I've written articles about him. Have you? But, yeah, but 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 amongst my wide receiver snubs, I have Billy Houghton above him, though. I mean, Billy Houghton still holds a bunch of Packer records, and at the time of retirement, was the leader in both re- receptions and receiving yards. And he's never even been a semifinalist. I don't think it's insane. Yeah, it's it, it, the main reason why that's the case is because they didn't have the semifinals. And I, Paul went into this too. There wasn't any semifinalists until like. I think like 2004, just to make it a little easier. But right. the way I personally see it is like, if basketball can finally put in the ABA guys, I don't see why Canton's taking so goddamn long to put in the a- AFL guys. Or hell, even the old AFC or even old CFL guys, like, Jesus Christ, it's taking forever. Just put him in already. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we want to follow the basketball model. That's got over 400 <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. That's like yeah. the my favorite hall. What are you talking about? I know, yeah, well, there's a it shock. Is. It's Vinny's favorite hall. <laughs> did you did you play before World War II? Yeah. <laughs> win. <laughs> if, if you played with more nuance than that, you get your own God bless and win him all. Vinny can make a case for the person who actually created like the hand pump to blow up balls. <laughs> no, the needle that attaches to the hand pump that blows up the balls. You hey, it. that's next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, so you talk about your your deep historical dives. One that's never been done is go, and these guys aren't alive anymore. But to go back and look at what was going on with the voters in the seventies and the eighties and well into the nineties, and they've created a lot of this problem. If you go back and look at the number of classes in which they did not fill all the time as many as six seats would go to well then modern candidates. There were years there where there were only two or three, well into the early 2000s. It would be great to find a couple voters and there's still some guys who have the connections back that far to get them to talk off the record about, I mean, not naming, but just what that process was like and the mindset and the things that were going on behind the scenes, politics and guys grouping together ballots and, 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 blacklisting players or teams yep. and because they created this mess that you know we had this huge huge senior pool 
And I blame the voters. I blame the voters, not so much today, who are trying to do the best they can. We need to get back to yeah, two seniors I a year. I agree as well. But there's, you know, 50, 60, 70 guys in that pool, and many of whom never got a chance because there were things going on in line that scenes in those rooms. They were treating it more like the Baseball Hall of Fame at one point in time, and eventually yes. opened up and liberalized a little bit. To your point, though, it's like many other things we talk about, like the lack of diversity in coaching in the NFL is a systemic issue that you can't fix immediately, no matter what you do, it's uh, to fix. And yeah. say a similar thing here in terms of <coughs> it take right. decades to dig out of the hole. Oh, Evan, you got right, it? Guys, I've, I've finished tabulating. Yes. <coughs> oh, I'm sorry to break you up. okay the there, Bill? Uh, so just so you know, uh, up until Bill, there are two teams, or two people who hadn't had any votes. Everybody got at least one vote out wow. on this list. Wow. So there's nobody who was unanimous. So these are votes out. Ready? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go on. Very screen. Drum roll, please. So there you go. So Bryant Young, Jarrett Allen, Willie Anderson, Jared Allen. Steve Mills, Steve Tasker. That gives us one, two, three, four, five, six. Sorry, we go to come from the bottom. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 15 gives us the tasker we were limited. i mean let's just right. let's just knock anybody above five off <laughs> my yeah. opinion we, we have you know, to we're going to be here all day all night if we which no we're well, not. If, if, <laughs> if, if if we go to three that gives us just 10 that makes sense that do that yeah I mean, that's, that's right i'm sorry to steve <laughs> So, so everybody from in terms of this list and the way it's listed, every wow. these guys are the ones who survive. Essentially, uh, oops, sorry. Uh, uh, d- delete them by mistakes. I mean, what what else do we have to do? We already give our give okay, our speeches. Well, at, at this you know? point, we could do one of two things: we could just vote five in at this stage, or we could just have a ten minute open debate, discuss everything, yeah. and then and then vote in because. Like, like, uh, like we're all thinking we could go all night. We don't yep. want to go all night. <laughs> right. I throw out one thing for Leroy Butler because I had originally. Yeah, please. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Jeff. Hold on, hold on. Before we get, we before we get the players, let's let's pause. Let's look at the ten we have. Let's take Kirk's statement to heart about if we want to do this, we should think of it in terms of if we were actually the voters. Let's take a look now at what we have in terms of positional spread, offense, defense, special teams. I mean, there's only one special teamer, but offense, defense. And let's just take a look and see what it looks like. I think we've heard the arguments for the players. Now let's look at the process. That's my suggestion. No. And now here's why I say that. If the no. <laughs> we duplicate it. We should, be lo- we should be looking to identify the five best players regardless of position. That's all conjecture. I mean, like, I'm going to look at it in a different way than you, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, but that you have a large enough group where we're coming to a consensus and like... Well, yeah, but last time we did that before, we wound up doing it a, a, a thumbs up, thumbs down. We're not doing that this time. We're just going top five, period. Top five, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying, like, if we have a 10-minute open discussion and then vote, like, the last yeah. chance for people to make a case... <laughs> Yeah, as, uh, yeah, for sure. Let's let's do that. That's what we're opening everything up for, because now right. we know which ten we're sort of like uh, fighting for. All of us have different people that clearly we're more passionate about, and we're going to be voting five in, not five. Not that it really matters, but when 
Well, it does matter. So when you're sending it into Evan after, it's we're voting five people in. Uh, Jeff, the uh, floor is yours. I know you want you had some more stuff to talk about Butler. Yeah, just really quickly with Butler, the one thing I want to call out, there's only one defensive player from the NFL's all-decade team from the 1970s, 1980s, and 1990s that is not in the Hall of Fame. That is Leroy Butler. In 1996, the season they won the Super Bowl, everybody always thinks about that being Reggie White's defense, understandably so. 1996, there was only one first-team All-Pro on that squad. It was Leroy Butler. He has more career um, interceptions than guys that have been voted in before him, like Brian Dawkins and Steve Atwater, and those were free safeties. Troy Polamalu and John Lynch, who were strong safeties. More career turnovers for us than Atwater, Polamalu, and Lynch. More career sacks than Atwater, Polamalu, and Lynch. So I bought, brought up a first ballot guy, a couple of other guys that have went in before him, and I think it's been <laughs> justice to the process when you look at Leroy Butler because his numbers not only stack up, they exceed some of these other guys. That's all I got to say about him. I'll talk about somebody who I didn't talk about um, because, but I just want to say something about uh, Patrick Willis. Uh, Willis, we talked about, you know, the pro football hall of fame monitor and how he didn't have that long a career and the average hall of famer is a hundred. Willis in his short time, if my computer will actually do something, Willis's short time had 109 points on this thing. He had five all pros, seven pro bowls in essentially eight seasons. Like he did not waste any of his time in the NFL. He got injured. That sucks. Right. And he walked away because of it, but Willis was as dominant. And if, if he's, if he plays another three seasons, we are talking with him probably the fourth or fifth best in terms of statistically or at least according to this thing uh, of all time. So I, I'm a big Willis guy on this list as well. So uh, I, I want to make a, a push for uh, Andre Johnson, actually. Um, when I think of Andre Johnson, I think of that draft and I see just the comparison of how he was in comparison to Charles Rogers, you know, Mr. Vicodin taking just above him. <laughs> And yes, uh, you like the nickname I gave him. Um, but then I see someone like Andre Johnson in that situation with the Texans, where they didn't make their they didn't make the playoffs until you know a decade later after they first entered the league, a team in which they were relatively average at best and downright bad at worst. But didn't matter if it was David Carr or Ryan Mallett or Brian Hoyer. And the best guy he had was, you know, really Matt Schaub his time in Houston. In my opinion, I think considering Andre Johnson comparison to someone like Reggie Wayne or Tory Holt, who as much as I love them and, and even someone like Henry, Emmer, who I love all of them, but Andre Johnson had by far the least to do with and his numbers were somewhat comparable, if not better compared to them. So that's why I would be very big. And for Andre Johnson, and no, I'm not just saying saying that for for Jeff. I I really do like Andre Johnson. And for both reasons, Vinny Jack has that on record, and we're okay with that. Thank you. He would have preferred you talked about Devin. Hester. Oh no no no! I, because as much as I could talk about Devin Hester, there's no way I could do anything and explain Devin Hester even close to as well as Jack explained him. No no way in hell I could have I, I could have done that. Yeah, Devin Hester, if he didn't have the coaches, he was the Bears' number one wide receiver. I think that's the one thing, Jack, that you may not even the time he had allowed. 
there were a couple of years where Kevin Hester was the number one wide receiver in the country at Nebraska. He was the top guy. So it took away from some of the things he could have done as a returner. Um, but to the point, like <coughs> field position to where teams just refused to kick to him. I come back to that Super Bowl. The Bears damn near won a Super Bowl because the Colts were so afraid of him. They exceeded the 40-yard line every time. He should have not only been a rookie of the year, let's say in 2006, he should have been the MVP of the league because nobody had a bigger impact on the Bears from one year to the next or on a team in the league from one year to the next. It certainly wasn't Peyton Manning because he wasn't even the Colts' most valuable player. So when you think about Devin Hester, you look at the fact that you're talking about, beyond question, the best of all time at what he did. There is nobody else on this list that compares to him in that respect. They just don't. Like, there are other great players. Most all these guys are worthy of the Hall of Fame. There's only one guy that's the absolute unquestioned best goat at what he did, and that was Devin Hester. Okay. Uh, at this point, uh, should we just uh, put in our votes? Does anyone have – we only had three people talk. Does anyone else have anything else to say? Just give another couple of yeah. minutes, and then we can do it. Sure. I was just going to chime in more sort of general philosophy, I guess, and, and uh, express my appreciation for all of you, because I think when you look at this list that we're sort of sorting down, that is an outstanding list. These are all Hall of Famers. I have no doubt that all of these guys will get in the Hall. In fact, from our list of 19, I think most of them will. And so I think when you think of you know, which five you move forward, there really isn't a wrong answer. There, there really isn't. I mean, five of the best, but we've all made great cases. I think all of these guys are certainly deserving. I think we're close on where the voters are going to be. Five of these guys will have been elected on the 18th of January. We'll find out a week from this Thursday. Uh, but I just wanted to applaud everybody, but also this sort of perspective that we're not throwing anybody out. These guys are all going to get in the hall in the next few years, I suspect. If you look at what the ballots are going to look like in a few years, uh, it's a great group, and all of you did a great job. I don't think anybody, I mean, it's tough, right? But anybody we don't let in today, their day will come very soon. They better. <laughs> don't worry, I trust them. I, I find it interesting that, uh, you know, when the dust settled, uh, love the Kevin Williams love, and then there's only two uh, really skill position offensive players that even made it past, depending on how you consider Devin Hester, if he's an offensive skill position guy. Uh, the rest are linemen or defensive players. So just an interesting observation. We're, we're rebels. We do things different from others, and that's and that's okay. I think something that stands out to me about this list um, is that the Patriots won three Super Bowls between 01 and 04. They've got, obviously, someone who has arguably the greatest Hall of Fame credentials ever in Tom Brady. I don't want to say there's such thing as a goat in a sport like football where you have 22 people on the field at one time, but you might have the greatest Hall of Fame credentials. But it was a defensive-led team. We've got Rondé Barber here, who would be the fourth member of a one-time champ. And we've got Richard Seymour here, who would be only the second defender on a three-time champ, a team that in those first three Super Bowl runs made their really made their nut defensively. Brady was a very good quarterback who was exceedingly clutch, but he was not anywhere near an MVP caliber guy. I, I would say it's debatable as to what time he locked in his credentials as a Hall of Famer. It might not be until 07 that he did so. So I think if you start to look at team representatives, 
you have to look at Richard Seymour as someone who was able to play multiple spots on the line, which is significant because the Patriots went in those three, uh, those three all runs, they went from a four, three to a three, four. And that was due in part to the ability of certain players who could move around Willie McGinnis being one, um, Rosie Colvin, Teddy Brutsky being able to play it at, at Mike or, you know, next to somebody, but it was also due to Richard Seymour being able to go inside or outside, being able to play as an end in a three, four, or as a tackle in a four, three. So I look at him and, uh, and he plays a big role. I look at Leroy Butler, who is one of the guys on this list who I think peaked as the very best at his position. I think DeMarcus Ware peaked as the very best at his position. I think Baselli, uh, Willis, probably Kevin Williams and Hester all peaked as the very best of their position to say nothing of guys, Hester who peaked as, as the greatest ever at a position that's been in play since 1920. You know, they've been having kicks, you know, kickoffs uh, and punts since the beginning of football. And Devin Hester has been the greatest ever at a position that's existed in nearly the same capacity for a century. I think is significant. I, I like I like what Paul said. Everybody here is is going, um, so that's uh, that's what I see. I think it's interesting you brought up the Rondé Barber versus Richard Seymour comparison, Jack. I don't mean to bring down Rondé Barber. Rondé Barber is a great player. Rondé Barber is a great player. I'm just noting that he's well, their, no. their fourth defender, and and to me, Simeon Rice had a better year their championship season than. Maybe right, whatever. Brooks yeah, and, and Simeon Rice but, deserves to get in the Hall of Fame as well. Walker. I agree. So, I agree with that, though. So, so that's what I'm saying is like there's question about whether Rondé Barber was the third, fourth, or fifth best defensive player. Personally, from my perspective, you look at those Patriots teams, like you said, the first, the first couple of championship teams. I feel like I know Ty Law is in the Hall of Fame, but Richard Seymour was the key of that defense. He yep. was the best player on that defense, a better unit for a long period of time, and he was the best player. Like it's equivalent to a Warren Sapp or Derek Brooks, depending on your perspective for Tampa. But those defenses won more because of the defense, or those teams won more because of the defense. So I'm with you, like in terms of yeah, I'm not knocking Rondé Barber. Like I might have put him in before John Lynch personally. The point I'm getting at is yeah, what I agree with that. a lot of value there with Richard Seymour in terms of the impact on those Patriots teams that feel pretty <laughs> underrepresented for the number of championships compared to the Bucs. Yeah, I think I remember you mentioning when, when Dan Kelly was here, he was mentioning like, you know, for someone from my generation, you know, you guys had, you know, the you know, the Steelers you'd look at, you would have the Niners you'd look at, and you'd even have the Cowboys you'd look at. For me, it's the Patriots. And, you know, just, just thinking about all those teams, like, yeah, you have Brady and Belichick and Kraft, but when you go to nine Super Bowls, a perfect season, and six championships, it's way more than just a handful of guys. It's a lot of cogs and a lot of moving parts, both on the field, on the sideline, in the front office, what have you. It's it, just a significant team. Like, despite being from New York, I have so much respect for just that organization and what they've been able to do the past 20 plus years or hell, if you really talk about the time since ever since Kraft bought the team in, in the early nineties, they, they've been, they have been just the class of the NFL, 10 Super Bowl appearances, six championships. And, you know, I really do think they, they only have five people 
in that are that's currently in Canton for what they've done. I mean, when I can list like tons and tons of people or okay, <laughs> a lot of people associated with the pages that at least deserve a look. It doesn't matter if they'll get in or not, but still just the I'm, pages were just that level of a team. Vinny, when, by the time this is done, here's my prediction. By the time they're done, not counting Belichick and Kraft, who both get in, the Patriots, I think, are out of these 20 years, are only going to end up with six people in the hole. It's going to be Brady, it's gonna be Brady, Gronkowski, Law, Seymour, Vinatieri, and Moss, who's already in. And that's it. That's essentially all they're going to get. They may get Will Forks going to be talked about. They're going to talk about um, Harrison. Uh, they'll talk about Rodney Harrison. They'll talk about uh, I can think of the offensive lineman right now. Logan Mankins. Uh, Logan Mankins. Thank you. They'll talk about Logan Mankins, who somehow didn't get a championship in his ten years with Patriots. Um, That's very unfortunate. Yeah, but like those are the only guys you're going to talk about, and Bruski and McGinnis and all the other guys. They're just they're not going to get in. They, they were the deficit because of the system they played in. That's 100%. Yeah, it's like and, – and that's really a shame, too, when I really think about it because, like, again, it's, it's a big reason why I'm very skeptical about, like, you know, all pros and all decades and everything because of the same people that are always going to keep telling me about how winning is the meaning of everything. Yet at the same time, these are the exact same people that decide not to put in these guys despite winning. So it's like make up your mind, guys. What is it? It's because all it's going to do is – even though I, I'm not trying to mention the fan bases or anything, but it just feels like you're only, only trying to validate the point that people in that area feel about them. And it's like, it, it, it's just ridiculous. It's only going to feel like, oh, they have a bias against us. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It only feeds into what they already believe. All right. Are, are, do you want, are we ready to vote at this point, guys? Sure, why not? Yeah, we can do it. Dave Woodlock's giving the I want to go to bed sign. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right, let's do it. All right, so so I have I have two votes already. Okay, so again, everyone, we're voting five in at this point. Okay. Uh, Before we do that, uh, just quick thing: if we get a tie, there's no reason we can't we can't induct six or seven. Yeah, I would have no issue with that. I love more. I I think we all agree, especially Vinny, that we're bigger (laughs) all kind of people. Any any uh, objection to that? No, I fine. like getting I like getting into five. And I'll I'll relent. Yeah, I kind of like five too. I remember last year we only put in four because I think it was Evan and I threw a damn fit over Zach Thomas. You know? <laughs> it, was, Jack, Jack, it was it was Jack it was Jack and uh, you and I and yeah, I, I was yeah. for Zach Thomas and he didn't make it. There's still an anti Zach Thomas thing here. He's not even There's black. no Zach Thomas here to boo down. So this should be good for you guys. Ah. We, were, we were right because you guys you didn't even care about him this year. So he <laughs> swooped in and saved the day. Last that's what you. That's what you get for all the. That's what they get for all those damn memes trying to compare him to Erlacher. Jack's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even as yeah, I'm tired of seeing them like like saying, really, you're going to compare Zach Thomas to Brian Erlacher. Um, get the hell out of here. <laughs> I got Dan. I got Kirk. I got uh, just, I, just five. Just Jeff, five. I got Paul. Oh, yeah, five people you want in. There's David. Five that you want in. Yeah. Once again, about halfway, I'm going to uh, turn off the screen so I can start tabulating here. Right, There's Wayne. Good. I have mine in front of me in case anybody cares. So. I'm going to throw Tony LaRusso. 
<laughs> I don't know how many of you follow sort of the bigger picture at the hall, but it might be interesting to know that the new president of the hall has agreed to meet with the voters um, virtually about a month from now to have an open forum discussion. I don't think this is probably never happened, at least I don't think Baker if he did it. And he's really interested in their insight as to the process. I mean, all of the factors that go in and it's just refreshing. I mean, new leadership is a good time to see different views and perspectives, but he seems to be really, I mean, I don't know what the changes will be. Let's not get too crazy, Vinny. But I, <laughs> I think the step he's taking is good for the future of the hall and things in terms of getting to the voters and talking about the process. And, you know, think there's always room for improvement after doing this for years or decades in some cases. <clears throat> so it's encouraging to see that. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm very happy that, you know, as wonderful as it was to see, you know, Baker and, you know, I know that we have the, I have jokes about him, whatever, but at the same time, you know, I'm down for new leadership. I, I always like seeing, you know, a nice, fresh face, a nice, fresh voice in the room. And I, I have felt confidence that Porter's going to do it. Now, granted, it's going to, I like the idea of instead of David Baker, I like the idea of like, you know, a, a Hall of Famer knocking on that door. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, one, one note again, I, I do think we should do it to five. And I think the way that we do it is that there's a tie, no more talking. You just send your one person to Evan. No, yeah. just sign on with that. Hey, Jack, I only got four from you though. Hey, Evan, uh, uh the, uh, the screen went off. Yeah. I, oh, do you need it back? Yeah. I just need it back for a second. Okay. I'm, I'm signing between it, between, uh, these, uh, these six and then I'm not three, six, like, like the, the make, I'm trying, yeah, like, yeah. it's... Sorry, I, I just did it because there were... Uh... Uh, don't worry. You can go figure that the youngest one has the biggest memory issue. Who would have not, would have thought that? All right. Yeah, uh, See, yeah, it's a yeah Jack, Jack your, your first one didn't come through originally, so I got it now. Though. Got it. Uh, yeah. I went to law school, guys. It takes me a long while to do math. I only learned how to divide by three. Ah. Ah. He said, I went to law school and I'm doing this on a Tuesday night. Yeah, Lots well, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a lawyer anymore. I recovered from that eight years ago. So uh, what you, was, what was like going to law school, Evan? Uh, I went for free and it was still a waste of money. That's an accomplishment. Here. Yeah. It got, it got us a copyright lawyer. It did get us a copyright lawyer. That is true. Yeah. Hey, that, 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 that's something I would say. Yeah. You know, it's a guy, a, guy from, a guy from Massachusetts living in Illinois and a guy from Canada living in Barbados using a copyright lawyer in South Carolina. You know, just the way things <laughs> normally work. Okay. Yeah. I and they walk out. into a bar. They say to the bartender. No. <laughs> a, pre a priest and a mom and a rabbit rock into the bar. Rabbit says, I think I'm a typo. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Sorry. Are we hitting the dad that. jokes? We yeah, do that yeah. at work in every huddle we do. Yeah. Like, I'm used to dad jokes. Don't worry. Yeah, I've seen the dad term. jokes and old old HBO HBO kid shows. Yeah. All right. Is, is everybody okay if I stop sharing so I can start adding? Yeah. Yeah, yes. you can stop sharing if you want. Okay, cool. So, Kirk, the big question uh, I have is: Are yeah. we going to do a senior yes. Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, actually, I, I really wish Ted was here because he brought up something that he really wanted to do, and I hope I hope everything's okay with him because. Uh, I messaged him up to a couple hours before, but anyway, uh, we were, yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. We are everyone who here, who's interested, we're going to do the same process in April, but we're going to, which is going to be a lot harder to figure out 
who is going to be the, our senior candidates? Uh, a question. How many senior candidates will we even do? I don't even know. I mean, that's something we get, we will have to figure out. I mean, I'm, what we is do it? like 15 and then like whittle it down. Like what's the right number? God damn. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I mean, they, I mean, the hall just does one. I think that's way too hard for us just to choose one it individual. It, it, it totally is. I mean, it, it'd be hard enough just to come up with 15. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I think do, so do like a mix of 15 you and this, this will get, <laughs> get chubber. Do like five players, five coaches, and five contributors just no, we're not, we're, no no we're not gonna touch contributors <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks got uh, don't worry guys. it's fine yeah. don't worry no, yeah, play, we, players we are, are more gonna, exciting anyway i'll be honest <laughs> in many yeah, ways uh, we are gonna do that uh for seniors whoever wants in uh let me know it's i i think that's pretty much everyone here and i think there's a couple other people who'd like to be a part of that uh we just have to figure out how many we're going to select. Uh, I think we all agree here that one is criminal. Fifteen down to five. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think five is a good number. I don't think we should be fixated who gets in this year. Yeah. But if we think about this long list and get it down to a number like five, and just because we're not, we don't need to repeat this exercise every year. We could go through it once, right? And say, yeah, okay, these like are that. our top five. And whether they get in over the next two, three, four, five, whatever. Yeah, yeah like then we just leave it. Yeah, I like that, Paul. I like then that. We got, and we can, and we can exclude every, everybody that's on the list this year, just maybe out the assumption that they get in this year. Yes. Maybe like 10, nominate 10 players, five coaches, they get you to 15, and then out of that group, you end up with five, something like that. Something like that. I mean, I, th I think what we'll do is, like, when we're getting closer to, we'll have everyone sort of, like, put in votes for – they're 15 and then we just sort of like take it from there uh it, it's gonna be next to impossible yeah it's gonna be rough <laughs> yeah you think uh, it's gonna, I know you what, think what this ted is suggested ted suggested that we did like that we do like multiple um like multiple like multiple like eras like we have like you know pre-nfl early nfl do like like you know you weird mix pre -NFL, like you're saying pre-nfl no, he said he said pre-NFL. He okay. said pre-NFL. It's what he said. Not he his words. Not we don't want anything okay. too complicated. All right, take, sorry. We'll be. But, but, but he, we'll he be said like it was like four different. It was like four different. It was like early uh, pre-NFL to early oh, NFL. Oh boy, then, it's couple finger time, kids. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, after he gets him in, then he, then Vinny's going to come up with the pre-wheel. Pre-Civil <laughs> War, yeah. pre-Games, all these eras where somebody... Let me tell how's you the, copy... the person who came up with the spear really deserves to be... How's, how's the copyright oh, lawyer doing with the accounting here? <laughs> I, I was not a copyright lawyer. I was a lawyer that was not useful to most people. I dealt with Foreign Corrupt Practices Act law. Oh. So if you bribed a foreign official overseas, I helped represent uh, wow. defend you against yeah. the federal. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, what what countries? That is uh, specific. That is niche. <laughs> yeah. oh. So you were dealing. So you were dealing with SDNs and everything. Ooh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And, oh, and okay. you have somebody that knows what the hell you're talking about. How about that? Yeah. Uh, all right. I didn't get everybody's vote. I don't think. I have <laughs> Vinny. I have Vinny, Jack, Bill, Chris, Wayne, David, Kirk. Dan, Jeff, Paul, and myself. Does anyone else? Um, did you, Arnie? Arnie, Arnie, I don't have anything from you. Uh, oh, I sent it to Kirk. Oh, <laughs> Arnie, I don't have anything from you. Uh, uh, Kirk, do you mind copying and sending it to Evan? I, yeah, I, I don't have anything uh, from you. 
Here, here you go. Come in your inbox. Also, while you're tallying this up, um, I just wanted to kind of send a, a open invitation to anyone on this call that if you're interested in joining any of our shows that are football history related, we're always looking for guests. I know Dan's shaking his head there, but all of you are very well-spoken and uh, very knowledgeable. So I would appreciate any of you, if you want to, I'll even put my email in the the uh, chat to everyone here so you can send it to me and i can like send it to my group that say hey this guy here's your bio or whatever and we'll see if we can't get you on the shows and such should yeah, we all put our emails down for us or yeah how about kirk why don't you just send an email to everybody in the group with all of our contact info so we can get in touch with each other yeah yeah for sure please, please. A lot of us are not on... to do, not to order the uh, boss here but a request oh please <laughs> I'm nobody's boss. Ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I have all 13. And guys, you want to know how close this was? Everybody got at least three votes, which is kind of amazing when you think Crazy. about it. Wow. All right. So are we, I will, uh, do, do, you want, do you want me, do you want me to drum list? You want to do all at once? Or do you want me to make it a, uh, and it's, it's a break. There's a break at five. So. Uh, okay. okay. No ties. No ties. Okay, so hold on. The PowerPoint presentation that counts it down. So we. I I I could do that, I suppose. Excellent. You're doing Excel. You might as well do the do a PowerPoint just to. Yeah, because this isn't long enough. Yeah. All right. So, with I'll I'll do it this way. Hold on. Reverse order. With uh, I'll I'll say it out loud. So the people who did not make it, with three votes and a tie for ninth, we had. I need to get the screen up here. There we go. We have Rondé Barber and Kevin Williams. Both had three votes. In a three-way tie for six with five votes, we have DeMarcus Ware, Tory Holt, and Andre Johnson. Meaning that our class, with six votes, we had Devin Hester and Patrick Willis. Wow. With eight votes, Leroy Butler. 10 votes, Tony Baselli, and 11 votes for, or sorry, 10, I'm sorry, uh, nine votes for Tony Baselli, 10 votes for Richard Seymour. Is there a class to be Seymour, Baselli, Butler, Hester, and Willis? At late, Seymour Blitz made the difference. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, Seymour, again, down here, though, like our people who had the fewest votes against was Seymour Butler, yeah. both made it. Barber did not. Yeah, and I think Jack is ready to do backflips if he has Esther. <laughs> so, hey, so this would be on. a pretty this would be a pretty dope class, honestly. Like, yep. yeah. yeah. And if I'm being honest here, I think you know, I think These Jack's will case be for Hester was exceptional. I think Paul's case for Baselli was exceptional. Those, in my opinion, were the two strongest ones, and I think. I think Tom's case for um, Willis was also really, really yeah. good. The, I, I think I like it was like those. 49ers. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I, I, I think you know, it's all, it's all about how you how you present, how you do, you know, how you present these things. Like, yeah. and I think those are some of the strongest ones. The, and you know, even for ones that just just made it out, like either way, you guys did an, an exceptional job. Like, I think everyone deserves a pat on their back because of how well they did. Yeah, I, I will say the one problem with this class coming up against it, and again, not a problem because I think everyone deserves it, is we still got too many wide receivers after this. We didn't get any of them in. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, 
I'm not sa- I'm not upset with Seymour Vasile, Butler, Hester, or Willis. So no, no. I mean, if we went with who we felt were the five best as a group at the end of the day, like that's the way the process should work. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I just and I'll say like it was awkward for me because I spent time obviously on the Andre Johnson presentation to Sam Mills. I had to rush my thoughts together quickly. Um, but Andre is like. He's a Hall of Famer, but I wouldn't vote him into my top five if I wasn't presenting for him this time. Like, I couldn't go against myself. But um, the fact that he even made it there, I'm like, okay, he's being viewed in a similar light with Tory Holt. Like, that's a win. Yeah. You know, we also, yeah, we didn't get any wide receivers, but we've got five different positions mm-hmm. represented. Mm-hmm. And while we only have one offensive player, we only have three defensive players because we have a special teamer. Um, who and listen, I love Devin as a wideout. He's awesome, but he's, we're not having this conversation about him because he was a you know a, a really fun number three. Yeah. Uh, uh, Steve Tasker was also wideout, and that's why we definitely talked about him as a wideout as well. <laughs> yeah, Matthew <laughs> Slater is a wideout. In any case, I, I, don't give us a hard time for not uh you know I don't think we should feel bad about not having uh, a uh, wideout in here. We got five five exceptional players all the different positions and a couple of them are clearing a backlog too like baselli has been sitting there waiting for years yeah true, true. roy butler's been sitting there criminally waiting for years i mean seymour has as well yeah seymour mm-hmm. has as well like if i look at this like you could there's six in one hand half a dozen in the other there's some trade-offs you make no wide receivers heavy on the defensive side but then you look at some of the guys in like you know, unless you have a certain feeling about a special team or being in the Hall of Fame, especially as first ballot, like which could potentially happen when you get into that process. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? Because um, it's not like he wasn't a media darling or anything. That stuff matters. Um, like this is a great class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, my uh, thing, I, I, what I th- I really think we're going to be pretty close. Although I I believe Demarcus Ware is going to bump. Yeah. Either Hester or Willis this mm-hmm. year. I don't and know. it's a shame but that we're seeing with where like it, when it comes to where it's like as much as i would be down for where i mean i didn't have him as my my top five it's hard for me to really go really big for where when as great as where was hester was literally the best at his position and i would say the best ever at his position and that's a big reason why you know i went with him even then and you know problem I for hester might be shelf life yeah. What for Esther might be shelf life, whereas somebody's going to look at Demarcus Ware in that room and probably see nine-time Pro Bowler, four-time first-team All-Pro. They'll see like what Jack brought up is all valid and great points in terms of you know he literally is the unquestioned goat at his position. Like you might even still have some folks that'll say Joe Montana if they're old enough, Johnny U over somebody like a Tom Brady. I don't think anybody argues a greater returner than Devin Hester. But it's about like I mean, unless you wanted to try to go Gail Sayers, but he didn't spend enough of his career doing it. But Gail Sayers, in his brief time as a primary return specialist, was to me every bit as good as Hester. Just didn't yeah. do it. Yeah, especially as a kick returner. Like you can make right. the he was the greatest greatest kick returner of all time. I think yep. where Jack make that great differentiation from him and Sayers is that Devin was the best at both. Like he was a yep. And Mitchell and a Mel Gray, or he was a Billy White Shoes Johnson and Dante Hall. Like, doesn't matter. Like, he was the best at both. Um, right, right. You know, I think when it comes to Hester, I mean, it, it's a historical accomplishment for him to make it as a finalist. 
a first ballot and a, and a returner has never been a finalist. Right. So I think the voters got over that sort of hump. But there's 49 voters in that room. And I suspect that, you know, this, this issue of special team versus full time is going to be a struggle for some of those voters to oh, think yep. about is it, are we going to make the next leap, even though the case can be made and it's a strong one for Hester. It doesn't take very many out of that 49, right, to not pick him either to go into 10 or into the final five. Out of 49, it only takes nine, 10 voters not to go that direction. It doesn't take very much. And Especially I don't know the whether the 49 voters are willing to make it. It would be fantastic. I don't have any problem with what they did. I just don't think they're ready to make that, that leap yet. But getting in the room and having his name talked about and this whole debate about special teamers, I don't think we can lose sight of in, in, the, in the annals of the history of voting. That is a significant step forward that we've never seen before. And it, not only for Hester, but the others who come after. Mm -hmm. And I think your point about Hester is very valid because you're talking about one leap forward has already happened. And the next leap forward would be even getting into like the final 10. And then you talk about the final five, would they really take multiple leaps at one time to set new precedent for a returner? And that might be like a bridge too far. Yeah, I agree. I, know. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think the, the problem there, you know, if I was in that room, I'd be like, I know he's the best of all time, but what about the greatest returners before he existed? Why aren't they in the hall yeah. of fame? You know, like, why is up church and Billy Weiss, who's Johnson yeah. or whatever, aren't in the hall of fame. We're going to put Hester in now that he's the great. And I, I don't have any disagreement. I think he's the greatest returner and ever played, but at the same time, like that's going to creep into their minds. I think, you know, they're going to be like, well, why didn't we do this for somebody else that was the greatest back in the day? So especially when you look at someone here, like, I think in Hester's era, there was only one Devin Hester. Uh, not yeah. really true. You had, you had Dante Hall and you had Josh Cribbs in that era as well. I mean, they're not this, at the same. Oh, yeah, obviously they're not the <laughs> yeah. same, but they both were very exciting at their position. But obviously sure. no one comes close to Devin Hester because Devin Hester is the GOAT. He is I, the greatest of all time. I wonder how the room is going to look at Richard Seymour because I thought our conversation around him was fantastic. And mm -hmm. on the right thing about, you know, all these Buccaneers have been rewarded, not saying that they weren't worthy, but – does Richard Seymour get killed by the fact because of the defense that he played in and his responsibilities, he doesn't have the sack numbers. Like for all we know, you go in there and you're going to have voters that are going to be really hopped up on DeMarcus Ware, or they might be really hopped up even on a Jared Allen. I doubt it on the Jared Allen piece could happen. Like, could we see that DeMarcus Ware makes it, but Richard Seymour sits out another year because Seymour doesn't have those sexy stats. Well, well the, the, the other person who we dismissed early, who's going to have a big say in that room is Zach Thomas. Because yes. Thomas was one of the four guys left afterwards who obviously doesn't have a huge amount of support amongst us, but has a huge amount of support in that room. I, so, I think it would be, yeah, but in, yeah, I think you're right, Evan, because how many of these people are we going to be talking about again next year? We, we inducted five. I think it's pretty safe to say that these five are not going to, it's probably not going to be the same five. Right. It might not be any of them, potentially. Like that, two, but, I think it's uh, when you think about differentiation, it might any R five might not be any of the five that are chosen. Well, then we don't have to do it next year. That's baloney. <laughs> uh, I, I I'd have to say the person I'd be most surprised out of the five we have who don't doesn't make it at this point just because of the lack of competition as position is Butler. Yeah, I, really, I think I really think this is Leroy Butler's year, no matter what. Because there's just I mean I guess 
I guess there's Rondé, but just I don't think there's a massive difference between Rondé and 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 Butler. And Butler's been waiting longer. And if they follow their train, I think Butler's got the of the remaining people. I think he's got the easiest of the four to get in. I agree. I think the only one that would come close would maybe be Tony Baselli because Baselli. he's been in the top ten many times in the past. So there's a decent chance he could finally break that plane, but. At the same time, he's been in that top 10 section for a few years now. And with Joe Thomas coming up, do you really want to have another year of Baselli on there? Uh, especially when Thomas is probably going to leapfrog him as soon as he comes on. Or are you going to finally put in Baselli to just open the gates open and say, yes, Joe Thomas, here is your bronze bust. We are calling for you. Come over to me now. Yeah. So you know, I think, there uh, only is a, a view think, among uh, many of among many of the voters about respecting the queue. And I think if you look at these finalists, I feel pretty confident that Seymour, Vasali, and Butler are all going to get in. And, they, their uh, case has been debated. They've been final 10. They, in that respect to queue and who else might upset, upset them, I think there is that sense. There's also a thing among the voters, if you listen to them, when it gets down to this final 10 or 5, it's often, frankly, nitpicking at candidates and looking for the fault and the negative, yep. you know, they, they try to separate, you know, the wheat from the shaft sort of expression. Um, and so I think that's a factor that will come up for, for some of these guys. But I, I remain pretty confident we've got at least three of the five that the, the voters will agree with us. What were you I think, trying um, to I think, I think so. we've got, uh, guys, I think we have three of the five. And, you know, I'm a, uh, I, I love uh, Dan Pompey's work. And he's the, uh, he's the guy who's going to be presenting, or who obviously did already present Devin Hester. And I think it's a good bet that Hester is in if Pompey just went up there and said, everybody, close your eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, on that note, after two hours. On that note. Thank you all for being a part of this. If you're watching, if you're listening, and you want to be a part of this in the future, and you think you've got something unique to say, we're not like the Pro Football Hall of Fame committee. We like to bring in new people on a regular basis. We're, this is a different group than when we first did it, and I hope we have more people next time. We want as many perspectives as we can. We want to get it from different points of view, different fan bases. All of you, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, this is something that Evan and I sort of had embryonically thinking, God, right, right from the beginning. And for this to sort of come to life at this stage, thank you all so much. Uh, anytime. Thank you. Thank you, thank guys. You. Thanks for having me Thank again. Thank you. Real pleasure. Thank you. Job well done. Hey, Jeff, stay on for a little bit. Stay safe, right. everyone. Take care. See you guys.